to be continued, a fanboy podcast. Please follow us on Twitter and Facebook. You can also catch us on the various platforms such as iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and to be continued, a fanboypodcast.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe. To be continued is an adult podcast for adults by adults. We may talk about superheroes, sci-fi, comic books, and all sorts of similar crap like that, but we may use adult and frank language when we do so. This is not a podcast for kids, brothers and sisters. Enjoy. And we're back. Welcome to To Be Continued, the fanboy podcast covering your fanboy passions. You may not win anything, but if you stick around, you might have some fun. You will. You have to. It's part of the law, too. Yes. Okay, apparently those are new COVID mandates. This is To Be Continued, a fanboy podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I'm Miguel Alejandro Velez, one of your hosts with the mellifluous tones. Oh. Here from beautiful Pancake Studios Thank in you. downtown Mahalo. Brooklyn. Mahalo. Mahalo. And uh, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Edward Ng. How's everything going, Edward? And I am not... Jonathan Key Kwan, aka Short Rounds. <laughs> Which you, even you don't know. Even you can't tell who's who. That is true. I, I, I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. I have to say, Miguel, that's probably like the smoothest intro you've ever done. The Quiet Story. Yeah, it was like very, NPR. Ah, uh, yeah. Yes, well, quiet you know, the quiet I have some store. bad news for you guys. I'm uh, <sighs> moving on. Actually, here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I think it's because here's I spent gentleman. almost all of last night doing Gregory Peck to amuse myself. Was it Gregory Peck? It was all, on we. It was all <laughs> Gregory Peck because I uh, was finishing up watching The Omen and um I've always had a good Peck, but you know that's uh, that's a subject. All right, let me let, let, no, you know how good my Gregory Peck is? I'm going to tell you how good my Gregory what Peck is. He says about a lot of things. Is that what you call your <laughs> Yes. This is a Gregory Peck. Hello oh, there. Scouts. <laughs> Hello there ladies. This is uh, what I call my Gregory Peck. <laughs> oh, God. It's impressive. I know. It's Don't be scared. Now, scouts. <laughs> I'm going to shoot that Rottweiler. Rottweilers, by the way, that's going to be... Today's show is brought to you all by right, the right, animals hold on, hold Rottweiler. On. <laughs> Baboons, Baboons and giraffes. And giraffes. <laughs> uh, you know, all I got to say is, you, you know about my Gregory Peck is, uh, do you know the level of my Gregory Peck? I can do Gregory Peck speaking the lyrics of the Beastie Boys. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear this. Let's... <laughs> <coughs> Blowing do doors off the hinges, I'll grab you with the pincers. And no, I didn't retire. I simply snatched them off with the needle nose pliers. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very uh, much. It's a little Obama-like. No. No, because, uh, as you know, the president has a certain, certain way of talking. It's slightly, uh, it's a lot of bass, but he's got this weird y'all thing going on a little bit. It's a little small. I, I want to see uh, a Simpsons episode where Homer goes like, Robert, Robert Beecham! <laughs> Why do well, you look like Robert Mitchell? Well, that's because we started just, we, we were on the phone and we just started doing a back-to-back -back of like 
Uh, because you don't know what Gregory Peck looks like. No, though. because we started going like, oh yeah, Gregory Peck, and he was on weed, and it was like, you said, oh yeah, Gregory Peck, because he took LSD, and that was his own thing, and then at the end, by the time we finished, it was like, wait a minute, I think you were just thinking, I think you were thinking of Mitchum. I think Mitchum was the weed head LSD Robert guy. Mitchum, yeah. Um, and the reason I was watching The Omen is because today's episode is going to be a uh, sort of career retrospective and uh, a little bit of a deep dive into the filmography of a director that we lost recently, Richard Donner, who has an enormous, enormous place in all, most fanboys' hearts and uh, any one of the genre of, of uh, science fiction, fantasy, superhero stuff. Based on Superman, almost alone, but he is not just Superman. He actually has a career that spans a lot of uh, not just time, but also, you know, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, how many years he was contributing to entertainment. But on top of that, I think that he has been sort of underappreciated or, or underrepresented in terms of, like, people understanding how much he gave to entertainment outside of just his work, but the people that worked for him and the careers that they then went on to have, or simply the um, influence that his films had on, uh, you know, what later blockbusters were like and how, you know, uh, whole genres would be maybe taken on. And he's not called... He's not called the father of the modern mm-hmm. comic book movie for nothing. I mean, um, he, the the word that that gets thrown out is verisimilitude, and people think that you know Donner. He practically created it, right? Yeah, um, which basically means being true to the source. And with with Superman, um, is it really? I think it's more. I think verisimilitude is mean you're presenting it as real, as presenting as real. Well, right? The, yeah, the, that's the, that's word. what I'm saying. In other the words, word. that, yeah, that there. Veris- that, You've yeah. got to have. Right. There has to be sort of a, it, it, um, those sections in the Wizard of Oz where we are in Oz would be the complete antithesis of verisimilitude. Yes, everything yes. about it looks fake, looks strange, looks otherworldly, does not look like anything in the mundane world whatsoever. But you are told this is the story we're telling in this setting, and you're going to accept it and go along with it. Well, I, well, I think, well, here's a perfect example. It's like, um, would you consider Batman 66? Very yes. Similitude. No, of course not. Right. That's because no, right? that's yeah. not, you know, um, which was his uh, big contribution he had when it came to these films. Because before him, while I would say there was a somewhat an attempt at some, I don't know if not realism, but they did when you get involved in it to a certain degree with some of the serials. When you look at the sets and the designs and the type of acting and everything else, it's hard to take them seriously, right? It's hard to, like, really get caught up in the drama of what's happening with Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers because, you know, after a certain period, you know, that might work on a child. But if you were over the age of, you know, nine or ten, you you know, you do actually want something a little meatier, you know? And up until until Donner... Does Superman the approach to that material was normally to to be very very campy, or the production values were very low, or there just was a lower hurdle of believability, 
And he was like, you got to believe and get caught up in these characters and caught up in the reality. Even if they're, you know, let's be honest, Superman also does have a lot of camp and lightness to it. There's no doubt about that, you know. Um, But it's not, but it also is trying to sell you on the drama and the characters and all the rest. And that is what makes it work. The straight up, that intro is burned into our minds as children, you know, the with the opening of the action comics and then the, 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 the journey into space onto Krypton, the opening of the trial with yes. Jarrell. Um, and it's, listen. And it, they're wearing r- black latex disco outfits. <laughs> you know, in this very, and he's like, I'm, I want you to have these, take these proceedings as if they're really happening. You know, and be caught and, you know, to the point where he's like, who's the biggest a- a dramatic actor in the world right now? Marlon Brando, hey, guess what? You know, we're going to bring him in and we're going to have him do him. He, uh, but I don't want to get caught up on Superman. See, this is so easy for us to do this because this deep dive today is actually not going to cover Superman, despite what we've been talking for a little bit here, because his career is so much bigger than that, even though we will talk about the effects of Superman here early on. Um, or we'll get to it when we have a general overview. We're then going to uh, transition into a uh, mini sort of reviews and talking about uh, some of his other movies. And what we're going to cover is we're going to cover The Omen. We're going to cover Lady Hawk, uh, the first lethal weapon, and Scrooge. <laughs> we're not going to do the joke. <laughs> We're not going to do yeah, I love you in the shrimp shrimp reduction. Really? <laughs> there's a bomb. No, there's not there's a, a bomb, bomb on your dick. <laughs> um, now, um, I think it's a, a, a good place to start would just be, t- again, to remind people that Dick Donner's career it was a long-lived one. He passed on July 5th uh, of this year, 2021, and he was 91. 91, yeah. 91 years old. Good, a great, a great, great run. run. A a person who in Hollywood, I don't think anyone had a bad thing to say. Who evinced both a lot of love and a lot of loyalty in the people he worked with in front of the camera, the people who were behind him and his crew. Let me just bring up uh, last night uh, in prep for this show, and uh, for you, the audience who aren't aware, Josh Gad, he has a series of uh, of of. YouTube shows, um, and I think they're called Re- Reunion, Reunited Together, or whatever, uh, where he gets cast from pop movies that that are that were just big in popular culture, and he had the cast of Goonies together, and uh, towards the end they bring up they bring in Dick Donner, who and this is 2020, right? This is during COVID, yeah, it was a year ago, and he was still very sharp. Yeah, um, yeah, he was still. You can see though that you know the. Um, age was definitely taking toll. 91, you know, is, right. it's, it's going to be apparent. But he was very sharp. And the cast members that were that were on their screens surrounding him, it was as if, oh, Uncle Dick was here, you know. And they he, he was the one who brought us together. This was certainly something special. So there's no doubt in my mind that this is just a glimpse of the kind of filmmaker that he was, how he fostered uh, a very... Um, uh, 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 good environment on set, good envi- you know. Yeah, you don't. Again, you don't really hear any like horror stories of of egos clashing yeah. or anything like that. And you know, uh, that's v- a little rare. 
you know, mm-hmm. in, in a long lived career. You would think you would have heard about it's like, you know, when you are going Right. And 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 he has got a he's got a a good time span to screw up in. So going all the way back to something like, you know, the Twilight Zone, which is, you know, and we're talking about uh, an I and not just any not a, not a forgettable Twilight Zone because let's be well, honest not all of them are super gems on the wing <laughs> you know an iconic ep- an iconic episode with an, an actor who would become iconic in William Shatner. And I, I bet you if it wasn't for that episode, are we talking about are we talking about Dick Donner today? I bet Dick? if it wasn't for that episode, <laughs> he may have not gotten the role in Star Trek. That I got do him believe on the scene. that that was part of um, you know. He was on a resume. Well, he uh, Shatner had kind of fallen from uh, trying to be a movie guy because, you know, he he was in Judgment at Nuremberg um, and had now was like, I'm, uh, you know, he had kind of fallen into TV. And, yeah, I can't help but feel that that was part of, you know, it's an incredible episode. I mean, like, look, when they decided to do that, when they decided to do the um, the Twilight Zone movie. What was one of the episodes they decided they were going to recreate, and it was Man on a Wing, you know, uh, you know the, you know the uh, the Gremlins, and so I mean, like hey, he's if it's he's, good enough for me, it's good enough for you. Good enough for me, it's good enough for. You. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. By the way, quoting Cindy Lauper. And uh, oh, because, yes, one it, of the most because, iconic, yes, yes, one of the most iconic because he did the music video <laughs> as directors to do for 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 the Goonies, Captain uh, Lou Albano, rest in peace. Uh, but so, like, he, you, you know, he, you've got something like he did Man from Uncle, he did The Fugitive, you know, he, again, he did The Twilight Zone, and then like he breaks into film with The Omen, and then from there he's on a roll where it's like he, The Omen, and then that's what gets him Superman, you know, and. You've got you've got films like again Lethal Weapon, you know. Uh, he, Every he, time you mention Lethal Weapon, yeah, I'm, there I'm you gonna go. do the guitar. Uh, and you know, one of the other parts of his influence is when you look at the breadth of it, as we it's said, too old. is first the people who went on to do other things, even when he wasn't directing, because you know he had production credits and other stuff to his name. So you got to look at something like. Just in a modern sense, because of him and his wife with the X-Men films, what did, I mean, my God, that gave, that rocketed Ian McKellen and laid in his career into superstardom. It, of course, created Hugh Jackman. Um, and then that itself spawned off an entire, you know, franchise based on comic book, you know, you know following in the footsteps of Superman the movie. There is, uh, several years ago, there was a Dick Donna tribute in Hollywood. And with, I, I think it was with the Academy. Um, and uh, you can find this on YouTube. Uh, yes, very Jeff much Jeff Johns yeah. and Kevin Feige standing together. Right. And, and really just saying, hey, you know, Dick was there to, he gave us our first jobs, you know. Um, Jeff Johns was an assistant as well as Kevin. Um, and Jeff Johns tells a story. Jeff Johns, by the way, he's a, a, a head of cre- creative, creative at DC Warner. Okay, um, yeah. And he says uh, he remembers Dick Donner throwing the original script of Superman into, in, in, into the trash. And Jeff Johns says, well, what is this? Wow, this is... This is this yeah, they were just like cleaning really the place thick, up, right? Yeah, you know. This is a really thick script here. And he's like, well, 
this is the original script for Superman and it is so bad that I had to save Superman. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, you know, he tells Jeff Johns, he's like, I did it because, you know, he got offered it. And the second I read the script, it's like, well, I got to make this better. I mean, that's a guy with a work ethic there and also had a sense of, you know, the responsibility. Like he, 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 he I think, buys into what Denny O'Neill says about superhero stuff, which is like, this is American folklore. This is Americana. You know, so it has to be done a certain way. Uh, and again, Superman, without Superman, there are no, you know, any of the later superhero movies um, with Lethal Weapon. Why was there a decade and a half of buddy cop movies? It is because Dick Donner, you know, cracked the code with Lethal Weapon. Um, that's true, but no, no, no. But see, I would say the humor in Lethal Weapon in the first one is there's a lot of it. There's a lot. I, there's of a lot of jokes. What I mean by that is like overall, it's a serious thriller. Overall, yes, the tone of yes. Beverly Hill Cops is, is a comedy, but like. Like Mel Gibson's girlfriend gets like machine gunned to death, and like well, okay, that. well like, that's Lethal Weapon too. But yes, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. that is it's like a little like oh. Well then, but uh, then you also have a look. You want to talk Lethal Weapon too? Um, then you you've got Joe Pesci's part. Okay, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Well, okay, you're, okay. Right, you're right. You're right. Uh, you know what I mean? Right, like there's right. a lot. But you're Donner right. is a, this is the thing. Donner is a master of like what we see today in like a Marvel Studios movie where it's like. We're going to have action, but we're also going to have a ton of humor that's going to be sort of threaded without. I, my own druthers is I think he does it a lot better. Donner's vibe, I was saying this as we were coming around the corner, is very similar to Steven Spielberg's vibe at the time. He's trying to knock it out of the park. He's trying to make a crowd-pleasing movie because he has very good creative and storytelling instincts. Um, about the only thing that holds him back to a degree is, I'd say... He doesn't have a signature style per se, but he but he does but but he does have this like yes he is very much in like here's a grounding of this world I want you to buy into it very 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 largely oh, that's most of his movies the the one outlier because even as crazy as Superman is he doesn't like, overdo the special effects like Steve yeah 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 but yeah. also um, Superman even though Superman's a fantasy movie. Um, like I said, it's very grounded emotional with the characters. If anything, the one movie where he is, um, the characters can be a little more outlandish for the most part is Scrooged. And even that is very much like, oh, you kind of have to buy into he's like, very, he's very, he's very concerned with the character. Now, uh, we pref Miguel and I, we preface this, uh, on, on the way here. Um, Which last Scrooge night was one of my favorite movies. Well, Sorry, last night. Miguel was sending me these YouTubes, right? And they're basically deleted scenes from, from Lethal Weapon. And uh, there's one in particular had you, that... Had you seen any of them before? Um, like I, you said I can't you remember. This, uh, I, you said you had seen the sniper one, you thought. I can't, yeah, I thought I'd seen the sniper. Now, and here's the thing. The, the, there's, a, there's one particular deleted scene where um, Mel Gibson's um, uh, Officer Riggs, um, he's got to take care of a sniper, Right. And the idea is like everyone's in the line of fire. Uh, the rest, the rest of the squad, they're 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 trying to hide and and trying to just get out. Well, they're, they're getting get shot. Way. They're literally getting shot. Right, kids are getting shot. And what does M Mel Gibson's character do? He just walks up with his Beretta, and just fires it away. 
while the while the the, the sniper's shots like, are just like missing him, right? And then as he walks away, the commanding officer goes, or the the, the one of the officer on the scene goes, "Man, you're crazy, Riggs. You're crazy." And that's very cliche, right? The crazy cop, the the, the cop who's got cop nothing on the to edge, lose, yeah. cop on the edge. Now right? though, now and th and that's the thing. He's so concerned. Donner is just very central to him that these characters are so fleshed out, right? Um, Goonies is a perfect example. Uh, every one of these characters, um, aside from maybe... Maybe the villains maybe, and even them. Well, maybe the, the villains are some of the strongest characters <laughs> right, I've right. seen. But uh, maybe, some of the, maybe some of the girl characters are not that fleshed out. Um, but but uh, I'm going to call him Samwise, a.k.a. Sean Astin, right? He, like, it's just very central to the story of what he's trying to do. He's like, um, uh, you remember, uh, we all remember the speech that, um, that Sean Astin's character gives. Down here is our time. Our time. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I mean, that's, and I'm watching that as someone, and, and Miguel and I, we've, we, we say it all the time, you know, um, The Goonies is, was not a movie that we kind of gravitated towards as Yeah, kids. yeah, well, when we talk about it, yeah, yeah it'll be that, know. but like, like, that's, I've always said it's a good movie. But, that's not in my personal canon per se. But scene because I had to rewatch it for the show. Bless you. Bless you. Uh, I had to rewatch it for the show, and I'm saying, wow, this is this is a this movie is a stroke of genius as as far as the genre goes, you know. And they say, hey, in Hollywood, you never want to work with kids and animals, and I think. Richard Donner kind of broke the mold on that. Yeah, doing it actually. Yeah, there's another movie. Yeah, and Yeoman had kids and animals, animals, right. animals that were running away. Right, from exactly. Kids. But, but like <laughs> you know, um, one of the things about the Goonies is is that that's another example of him um, hopping genres in a sort of you know. I think he can. I think some people can be dismissive and say he was a journeyman director, or maybe that there's that's sort of damning with faint praise. But I don't think it gives him his due, and you know. The 80s was the prime time for kids' movies, right? Never Ending Story, mm -hmm. E.T., you know, like, you know, all of his peers are making bank and pleasing audiences with big-budget, crowd-pleasing, kid-centric films. So what does Donner do? Donner plants his flag on that mountain again and says, this would be one also that will be in, you know, everyone that will tickle everyone's nostalgia bones for years and years to come. Oh, by the way, hey, I'm going to make it with Steven Spielberg, too. You know, he, 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 I think that there's an underestimation of his, you know, the influence of it. Because they're, like I said, even if Goonies wasn't my thing, it is a lot of people's things. <laughs> you know, that is a well-beloved film for good reason. For good reason. Like going down the line um, uh, with his movies starting in, in, in the 60s, um, but I'm not going to go literally down the line. But I will list, some, especially with some of the movies that we're going to be talking about today. Um, in 76, he does The Omen. Um, uh, he directs The Omen, f followed by Superman in 78. Um, oh, my God, he directed The Toy? He directed The Toy, yeah. <laughs> in 82 and 85, he directs both Goonies and Lady Hawk. We're going to talk about those two movies. he follows that up with movies. Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon in 87. Scrooge in 88. 89, Lethal Weapon 2. Um, Lethal Weapon uh, uh, 3 in 92, along with Radio Flyer. He did Maverick. Maverick in '94. You know, uh, uh, Assassin's Conspiracy Theory. We're not going to be talking. By the about way, the Assa Assassins. Ed, uh, who wrote the script for Assassins? The Wachowskis. 
Think, again, this guy <laughs> is laying it down, and people do not realize what the legacy, the, he, the legacy that Richard Donner has. You know, ninety-eight uh, lethal weapon four tales from the crypt uh, ritual in O in O two. Well, again, that's another thing. He gave he helped to develop Tales of the Crypt for HBO, mm -hmm. um, which in turn was another outlet for a lot of uh, known directors, but also up and coming directors. And then in 06, what do we get? And I've said on the sh I said and I think previously, he was Zack Snyder before Zack Snyder. You did and say what, that, yes. And what do we mean by that? You know, uh, whereas with Superman two, Superman two and Superman one were filmed back to back, and he had crunch, he had a he had a crunch time and had to essentially. Here's the truth. The truth is the ending of Superman two is what uh, that we saw was actually not supposed to be it gets transferred the to cut. superman yeah. one mm -hmm. him and his creative consultant tom mankowitz basically um they're like we got crunch time they say we they got to release this as so we don't have an ending for it he says let's just take the ending of two and we'll come up because they were in the middle of filming they were like okay well when we when uh, we'll just put all our resources to finishing superman one Get that into the theaters, and then after a little break, promotion, yada yada, let it collect its money. Then we'll come back, and we will will come up because he was very confident what it could do. Um, and like you said, had it taken away from him by the producers and producer Pierre Spangler, French <laughs> producer. Well, because Ed, do you know how much? How, here's how much, and Ed, that they tried to BS people. Richard, when Richard Lester comes in, um, there's there is a scene where he uh he takes credit for uh, one of the diner scenes in superman 2 you know the, the, yeah, the yeah. scenes where mm. so like they said oh how did you come up for the and he, in some interview with with, with lester and he be, kind of bs's and and donald really took that to heart and he says well that's very interesting because the clip that they just showed i'm in <laughs> I'm see that guy he's in the and he's like that guy in the background in the diner that's me I was on set that day and I inserted myself into that scene as a little fun thing they kept it in the movie now you're showing and you're claiming you directed this movie <laughs> you know um, so yes like very much like and he also set the trajectory for a lot of modern day uh, movie uh, comic book movie directors who come from the world of having done a successful horror film and then get tapped by the studios to direct a big budget superhero. Well, you know, the Donner Cut, uh, again, in 06, was released uh, along with, I think, the, the special DVD set along with um, Superman Returns, you know. So, I mean, and it was, again, it's his claim to his vision was that he had the superior um, uh, vision uh, in, in as opposed to what the Lester cut was well I mean one of the interesting things we're, we're praising him for humor right but then you look at the Donner cut and one of the things that is a, a very apparent is that while yes the scene where the the you know where General Zod and the other two Kryptonians you know ransack Metropolis has some light moments the Donner cut version you see eliminates a lot of the weirder sillier aspects like there's no like uh there's no guy who's in a telephone booth who gets blown away and is still talking on the phone. You know, there's the, you know, there's no like, there's no like, ADR line where some guy goes, "Let's go get him." That's what <laughs> I know some judo. <laughs> you know what I mean? There. He did have a scene where um, I think um, 
uh, I forget who gets thrown into the Statue of Liberty, right? During during uh, I, this was one of the I think deleted scenes for, you, for Superman for Superman. You, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, one of them do, do do get punched into the Statue of Liberty's uh, torch. Yes, and what? No, no, I, I was I was just saying like I uh, like what that was. I think one of the Donner the Donner. Yes, yes, that's definitely that's one right. of the Donner sequences. Yeah, and I, that's what I'm saying is like he he had a great storytelling sense. He had humor, but it didn't allow it to over overflow. And that's why I'm saying his vibe is very close to most of the time, more like Raiders of the Lost Ark or something, as opposed to, say, Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, we're going to come back from our break here and we're going to start a breakdown of uh, some of his films. Like I said, we could, me and Ed could talk about Superman the movie all day long, but. The truth of the matter is, is that there are some other movies in his filmography that are that are still classics, but I think also could could stand to get a little more uh, exposure these days. And we'll be talking about them after we come back after these words from friends. Hello out there, everyone. My name is Miguel Alejandro Velez and Edward in here, and we are the host of To Be Continued, a fanboy podcast. As anyone knows, we are based out of the Park Slope Brooklyn Pancake Studios, providing to us by one Jonathan Vergara. Ed, what can they expect to get out of Pancake Studios? And here at Pancake Studios, covering your audio recording, production, mixing, and mastering needs. And Jonathan is a complete wizard when it comes to these things. Uh, we Coming this month, it would be our third year anniversary. And uh, he's made a home for us here and continues to produce quality. Look no further, Pancake Studios. Go to www.pancakestudios.net. <sighs> oh, what's the matter, Miguel? Uh, I feel fat, Ed. I feel the same way, too. Oh, you too, John? Yeah. You guys, you both you guys need to get in shape. And a way to go about this is by going with JP Total Fitness. JP Total Fitness? What's that? Uh, our pal, Jonathan Padilla, friend of the show runs a Brooklyn-based personal training and remote coaching service committed to leading you becoming stronger and faster. Go to jptotalfitness.com. All right. We were talking about Richard Donner. That kid. That kid was talking to Rat Wireless. So our first deep dive, you know, small deep dive, we're going to go is uh, his first big budget film now. Donner had come from the world of TV. He had like come from like doing like Kojak and stuff like that at that time. Which, by the way, shout out to my mom and her dream about Kojak, but we won't talk about that right now. Who loves Who you, loves Juliet? You, <laughs> Who loves you, Juliet? Um, Who loves you, baby? And so he's handed uh, this film, The Omen, now. Um, Ed, can you... Uh, I'm going to check here. I want to see which came out first, The Omen or The Exorcist. Uh, ooh, good question. Uh, let's find out. 1973. Okay, so here's the thing. This is the fall as I as it goes to what exactly what my theory was, which is that there's a there's this trend going on, and the trend is you know horror films are making of of you know big inroads, and the studios they're not just being exploitation things. You've got the Exorcist, um, and you also have you know some of the cheaper ones uh, you know being made. But they're now suddenly you're seeing like 
big Hollywood stars of yesteryear doing these movies. Richard Burton, John, is in The Exorcist Part Two. <laughs> you know? Um, so here you have something that's following that trend and it's got that same formula. Hey, let's get Gregory Peck in here and he'll play a guy who doesn't seem to understand that if your nanny doesn't prepare your child for church, you fire that bitch. <laughs> I just like, hey, listen, you know, if by Patrick Troughton, who play, who is <laughs> the second doctor from doctor who, he plays uh, the well, crazy priest number two, right? You know, yeah. uh, who eventually gets maimed by well, by well, lightning rods. Let's, let's no, leave saying, we talk I'm about saying, that a little later. If yeah. the doctor is telling you that your son, once again, is not just and is, not just the doctor, the antichrist, not not just the doctor, the doctor and the chancellor of the Klingon <laughs> Empire. That oh, Chancellor Gorkin, Chancellor you know, Gorkin is also a, a, telling David you, Warner, right? Is telling you, yeah, I listen, I listen to those guys. But, um, but if he tells you that goes, he's the Antichrist, you listen to him. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it comes out in you know, Exorcist is seventy three, and I think that's what breaks that out. And then suddenly the studios are like, we need to make more of these. And he's you know, he's yeah. following the gravy chain. He's, he gets this job. There are four of them, and um, four four omens, and. He brings his A game as he does done for the mo most of his career. Uh, you know, he elevates the material. He d does it as best as he can. There's there is this sense of verisimilitude. It's not ch it's not super cheesy. I do think that a modern audience might look at it as cheesy because, like we said, there's a lot of um, it's a little older style. You've got Gregory Peck, so the acting style, even though he's giving it his all in this movie, and he really is. It's also feels much like a, a more like a movie from the from the sixties or fifties in some manner. And I think the sensibilities are that because uh, Miguel and I aren't um, hard guys. About John. Yeah, we're not we're not hard guys, right? You know, um, but Dick Donner had to. I'm sure you know, like a lot of the uh, uh, um, uh, a lot of the directors of the day, they're basically reinventing the wheel as far as you know what horror should be. You know, as and it's very much removed. So you say that, um, uh, uh, what was it that came before The Omen? The Exorcist. The Exorcist, right? You know, But but The Omen itself. Well, now, here's the thing. I, um, Miguel says, and you want to give him your account about watching this in your apartment? Okay, well, before, before, well, before we get into that, I do, what I want to say is that, you know, the, the Exorcist sort of gives, is a sort of gets into a classy horror. It's not a slasher thing. It's not a me. And think about this. It's the 1970s. You know, it's the, the age of, you know, as they say, raging bulls and, you know, you know, the, you know, uh, I forget the name of the book. But, you know, there was a lot of creativity going on. You know, you've got stuff like French Connection. Yeah, uh, exactly. Serpico. All this whatever. sort of stuff. And as a part of that, think about this. Ed. I mean, it's like, what was the other previous, like, film that would have even came close to touching the subject was Rosemary's Baby. Mm. And that's 68, I want to say, 67, 68. Um, Salt and Pepper came out of 68, which is the Donner film. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just mentioned 68, Good. I happen to be reading. Uh, King of the Monkey Wrench. That's not King of the Monkey Wrench. not a Monkey Wrench. <laughs> but, um, the, the idea is that cinema is changing. British comedy <laughs> is is that you also have this situation where um, they're pushing boundaries with stuff, right? 
I mean, you know, the exorcist is Ed, as I said, as a, as a former Catholic, this is, you never leave. Yes, Catholic Church. This is, this is crazy stuff to be out there as a mass market movie. That was a hit, but the exorcist says, this is cool. It's make, it's going to make money and everyone follows suit. Um, I had not seen it in a long time. Uh, as I, as we said, not a horror guy. Also, as Ed, uh, getting into uh, the opening uh, title card sequence that freaked me out a little bit as I was home alone watching it. Um, and I was really anxious, like, so what did you think? And you're like, Ed, I have to say, you know, like, oh, you give your account. Of it. Well, is that, you know, as a, as a, as a growing up in Roman Catholic Church, <laughs> the devil is real. <laughs> Damn it. Okay, and like you can't even like the idea of even watching something like that is it's it was it's a it it borders on taboo if not crosses over it for some people I think and <laughs> uh, and yet here we are this is what's happening and you know he's got a game cast um, a pretty good budget and he is a storyteller so you know there's this title card that comes up. And Jerry Goldsmith has been chosen to do the, the you know, the, do, do the theme, do the, do the score for this. And there's just this terribly eerie chanting, you know, what is the name of the song, Ed, again? Okay, well, well yeah. You're, you're looking I'm, it up? Yeah. Like, cause it's, and, and they're chanting in Latin and it's like the lyrics are, we feast on the blood, <laughs> we feast on the body or something. Uh, the theme of the song is Ave Santini. Right. Composed by Jerry Goldsmith. Shout which, out to and I'm reading Bruce off Bowling. of uh, Wikipedia here, for which he received an Oscar for his career. Um, and here's a chant, and the refrain goes like this: Sanguius bibimus corpus edimus, tolly corpus santini, which translates to "We drink the blood, we eat the flesh, raise the body of Satan." Uh, John, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I think. I think he just opened like a hell mouth in your, like your refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Huh? Oh, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I yes. think yeah. Shut it off before <laughs> anything else goes back. Because before. that's the thing. On it, and here's the honest thing. That music is. I can see how someone today. <laughs> say shut it off. I, I I can see how someone might be able to find it a little um a little disturbing or not just actually cheesy, but. I'm sitting there at home watching this at, <laughs> in my basement apartment, and it's just a title card with this stylized like illustration of a figure, and it's supposed to be Damien like a child, and there's this shadow coming off of him in this forced perspective, and it's a cross. But I'm watching but it. The silhouette going, is how Miguel. The silhouette. Well, here's the thing: because of the forced perspective thing, like it's like, oh, there's a cross. And I'm going like, why? Wait, he's the Antichrist. Why was he? And it's like, oh, from our angle, it's upside down. Upside down. And like, I'm what? I'm trying. I got to the point where like the stop, stop. <laughs> and like, it was one of these. It's one of these deals where like it get to. It got to the point where I was like, I started to freak myself out a little. <laughs> Because you like you say you never you never leave okay. the Catholic Church. I, I'm going to fess there was this up. I'm part of this, up. There's a part of the back of my brain where I'm where I was going like I'm getting a little uncomfortable right I, I, now. I'm going to fess so up. I'm going to have to start up. making some jokes here. So that's when I started doing the texting to you and started <laughs> riffing on it because I was kind of like I'm, I I need to put a little remove here. Okay. So uh, I need kudos I to me. kudos to to Dick, to Dick Donner for, for scaring the for being able to like beyond the grave. If you're hearing me up there, Dick. 
You did it. You got okay. another one. I have to fess up. All right, which is basically, and I, I'm a, uh, I, I'm, I'm, a, I guess uh, here the evangelical in the room. Um, that shouldn't be a secret to anyone. But I did attend Catholic school for a good part of my life, you know. And that said, I'm watching the movie in my brandly newly constructed home theater. My wife is in there, is is in the next room at our at our office here in our uh, um, uh, in in our basement home. And wh- why? Are, and I'm watching you, it. Is this a listing, Ed? What do you? <laughs> well, I'm watching it, and I I do ha- I do have the audio. It's up at least four thousand square feet. It's in a wonderful neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> We're in uh, close by to. Uh, by the way, we're going to get traffic. into the whole real estate scam. Uh, the bit, real estate bit, porn. Bit. So, and I'm watching it, and at, just as you had experienced it, the 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 theme plays, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, the, <laughs> the cross is upside down. I get it. Now here's the thing: like I, I've, they're n- horror just doesn't get to me, you know. But I will say this: yeah, that's pretty spooky. <laughs> Let's get to the parts where, because I know that because it's a horror movie, there are going to be scenes where people are going to be maimed and killed, be, and, killed yeah. and we're going to laugh at it. And guess right. what? Surprise, surprise, it did happen. Right. David Warner loses his head <laughs> in such a fact. It's like, and I laughed. David Warner. That was some who straight plays up. a photographer who sort okay. of just chronolo- hey, and, and, who's chronicling and, and, the whole entire thing. Let's give another thing to Richard Donner. That sequence is straight up Final Destination. Yes, it is that same Rube Goldberg. Like how you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, knock the first you know, it's piece. Like, it's like it's like exactly the second peck through the knives. <laughs> Warner's like, I gotta go get the knives in this pit, and then the pit is at the bottom of a hill where this guy was getting out of a truck and, and hits the emergency brake. That forces the truck to go down the hill, straight, head straight for Warner. But here's the deal: there are sheets of glass on the back of this flatbed truck, <laughs> and once it hits by, he, he doesn't get hit by the truck. Clean slice, clean slice. slice. I, you know, and Peg is like, "Oh my god!" You know, and he's he's covering his eyes. You know, okay, now but, second case, second case. Uh, Patrick Trotman, who plays a priest, who's basically trying to ch- trying to tell um, uh, the ambassador. Uh, Gregory Peck that hey you know your son's the Antichrist you know and uh, so there's a scene where where Patrick Trotton's just running away in horror and he's he's in the middle of a cemetery and he looks up and there's a lightning rod the lightning rod gets struck by lightning and the lightning rod falls and and there's that you know these sort of cliched sequences I think they kind of lampooned one in, in Austin Powers where the guy's about to be flattened by by a but, oh no! Oh no! You know, but so Patrick Troughton, he's like, no! The thing's falling, no! Falling, <laughs> and then it maims him. Okay, it, I'm it, watching this with Clark. Clark, who Clark Jesus, and I, he's, he's into Doctor Who, and I go, hey, just, hey Clark, hey Clark, don't worry, he regenerates out. after this. <laughs> check this out, Clark. It's the second Doctor, and he's in this harmony. Don't worry, Clark. It's kind of funny. We're watching it. And I recorded everything. I recorded this to 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 just reaction. you know reaction, and we both laugh our asses off. And he goes, "What the hell?" And he's laughing. Um, Dude, that can go viral. You need to upload that to YouTube. Yeah, you know, and it is it's just bonkers, hilarious. It has it does have field. those mo- it does have the and again, but I will say I think that this film probably was more effective in its day 
Because I, like I said, I think that first yeah, you, off, there was still a taboo, with you, d- the devil and that kind of you stuff. You got to yeah. put it in context of the time. And, I bet and, you it was very, at the time, was very scary. And it was a big hit. I mean, scary. like that movie and, made bank. And now it seems like those those scenes are typical of any Hollywood director who's trying to please the crowd, as you say, right? You know. Yeah, he's trying to knock have it out. To put those things. And now, he and part of his, you know, you can begin to see a lot of things that are. Again, we're, we, you and I have this sort of thing where like, he didn't really have a necessary a style, mm. but he had a very strong commitment to uh, the, the you know narrative craftsmanship of what's going to work, what's going to make this movie pop, what's going to make this scene work at any at any given time. A big part of it is his production, you know, the production values that he throws in anything. I think a very big common thread of all of his films is something. Um, I don't remember who said this, but it's that he he has great casting most of his films, the lead characters. He has a very strong eye for that, or at least he knows who to get, you know, to cast for. But he also makes sure that the supporting characters have their things to do and are also very they everyone brings something to the table, even if it's just one small scene that that character is going to feel real and feel very textured and and who's ever playing them is going to be very you know you look at um this film and it's like oh okay he's got Gregory Peck and he could be like okay and and the rest of this so I'm going to make a lot of no names or you know low talent but like you said we're naming the people in this cast Patrick Troughton one of the doctors David Warner you know a, a, a character actor, uh Leo McKern you know you know, this is this this is a film that has, you know, everyone is well, well cast. I mean, as creepy as Damien is, he's creepy because they found a kid that they, that could they could get him to coax him well, to look, be look, weird and creepy on on uh you know on cue. And while I'm saying that, you know, some of the scene those two scenes in particular were were kind of just bonker bonker crazy crazy and just laughable. You did say, and and I will agree with you that it is a tight movie. It's a very, it's a good movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like well like, made. I mean, like there there's some definitely some stuff that's too campy and too cheesy by today's standards. And I can, like I said, there's as I said. Okay, let's let's let do me you, get by, let by me get something. By the way, do you know the budget for this movie? What was it? Two point eight million, and it banked sixty point nine million. See, and that that's is the what seventies. So yeah, and yeah. that is what gets you Superman the movie, my friend. Yes. You know what I mean? Um. Now, like I said, there is some cheesy, there are some moments, I mean, there's some, okay, I just want to get a couple of things <laughs> off my chest. Just a couple of things okay. off my chest. I will allow you to get things off your chest, granted, in that you're critiquing it within the context of the 70s. Yeah, 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 you can't yeah. You yeah. look through a 2021 20, lens. Right, right. Well, I think, like, I think, I think, you know, I think there's some stuff I have that is going to be timeless here, okay? So let's start, know, uh, let's start off with this one, okay, John? Jason X in space had a more convincing chainsaw dismemberment <laughs> scene. Well, no, no, I think, I, okay, here, my, my critiques are going to be like this, I think they're timeless. So, so John, like, let's start out with the just bat-esque crazy part of, like, again, this, this ambassador is in Rome, and his wife loses a child, and, like, it's, I understand, like, it's understandable that it's at a Catholic hospital that's very common over there. That said, 
is the Catholic Church known for like just giving babies away? Because they're just they're just like signore, signore, this baby has been born your, and it does your, not have a mother yeah. or family. Your, I mean, uh, you you just lost your child. Maybe you adopt this one. And they're you accused know? of doing a lot worse. Yeah, well, you know, and, <laughs> so. but but still, and 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 by the way, and Gregory Peck, if the only reason this goes down is because they make this pitch, and and Peck's like. Yeah, sure. That sounds very reasonable. <laughs> we'll take uh, by baby. the way, you must not uh, tell your your wife. Well, of course, uh, this I is mean, a secret, uh, though. No, don't worry. It's a me, just... I'm Mario. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Luigi. I'll do whatever you want, <laughs> Luigi. Father Luigi. <laughs> so you know he and and, they, and okay. So then five years pass, and he's this guy who was in Rome is now he has been um uh, uh, ambassador to London. He's now ambassador. You're taking the kid. All right, so. One day, a priest comes to see him, played by Troughton. And, like, they actually do make a good... They do have a justification for the way that he acts. Because they're all, like... He was riddled with cancer, and he was shooting himself with more, up with, like, morphine every day. Here's the thing. Even with all that, okay, John? This is a crazy... Like, the very... This is the verisimilitude I'm talking about, you know, with, <laughs> with that, that, that Donner talking about. Okay, so the ambassador like is like, oh, this 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 priest is here to see you. Okay, send him in, and like, all right, you've got to like tell this guy as like, I've got to break some really crazy ideas, and I've got to get you on board with it because if not, end of the world. Okay, these are the stakes. We figured this out. I had a repent. Whatever it was that the you know the reasoning is. So he's got to convince Peck to come on board with like your son's the Antichrist, and we gotta do something about this. <laughs> But he comes in and literally the first words out of his mouth is like, "Can I help you?" And he's like, "Have you, have you, have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior?" Uh, okay. Listen, have you, have you tasted the blood and the flesh of Jesus Christ? And it's like it's just creepy. It's weird. And he's overbearing. And it's like, dude, you gotta ease Peck into the child murdering. <laughs> You can't, you can't just come up with a, you, you got, how about starting, and I, by the way, the, I, this came to me, interestingly enough, Ed, what you were saying, you were like, oh, how, how are you going to do it? Why, why? And I was like, no, you gotta, there has to be some more reasoning. He came on and he was like, thought that if I appeal to you, like your sense of the supernatural, this will work. No. What works? What convinces Peck? David Warner's. Uh, secular humanist, like, look, I took some pictures. Oh, these photos of like, well, you see that. Okay, so John, I I'm have proof. Here's some proof. crazy. He's been taking these. So throughout the movie, he's been sort of just documenting things and just taking photos, black and white photos. And here's the proof that he shows Gregory Peck. Well, he starts you, going like you, these things line up. So you see this photo of such and such. There's, there's a line. A, there's that, a line. Know, and, and every time I take a picture, I am seeing this. And guess image. what? The nanny hung herself in the same and look in, in the like, same fashion. Like where that is, where the, when the priest gets impaled, the line is go, oh, they're just like. A, and then he says, "I see one," and it was him. Secular humanism one. wins, apparently, because I'm just now, saying, like, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the Ghostbusters trailer just came out, and here's what Winston Zedmore would say: When someone says, "Do you believe in your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ?" You, you say, say yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but like, this is the thing. Like, that's the thing, Warner. They, that's when he gets on more on board. Of course, a lot more crazy stuff happens. Uh, <laughs> uh, a couple of other, uh, you know, again, uh, again, another thing I have to get off my chest here is like, 
they hire this. They don't hire a nanny. <laughs> the nanny, previous nanny, kills herself, right? And suddenly, this other nanny, who's straight out of Harry Potter, <laughs> like comes in as like, is like, oh, mom, you know, she's like, like, uh, you know, some of these younger, uh, uh, these younger nannies, they, they, they miss their boyfriends, they miss their homes, and you know, I was, you know, I've left all that behind me, and they're like, okay, well, uh, you seem very qualified. Yeah, we'll bring her on. Oh my God, honey, it's just so fantastic. Where did you find her at? Where did I find her at? I, I thought. I thought you hired her, and then it's like it's like, oh don't oh don't worry the the service sent me. Well we'll 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 check on that. She's there for weeks. And here's you the telling me that they didn't do any checking up there, on her. There's a wait wait wait. <laughs> so then it's all like it's like, uh, Mrs. Baylock, will you uh will you get Damien ready for church? Do you really think that a child should be? Well, I didn't do it because I don't think a child should be going to church. Can you really think he understands? And it's like if that I am I'm thinking of my own mother and my own father. <laughs> If I were Damien, okay, if I were the Antichrist, that no, they wouldn't have been allowed to be because my mom would have been like, what did you just say? No, here's what's going to happen. You're going to turn around and you're going to get my kid into a tux and ready to go in five minutes or your ass is grass. Wait, 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 Ed. Next. Next. This father in his own home is walking around at night and like, Holy crap, there's a Rottweiler in my home. And she's like, oh, isn't it a lovely beast? You know, it's like, well, where, where the hell did this dog come from? And it's like, oh, we found him outside and we brought him home. And like, isn't it just cool beans? And like, he's like, no, it's not cool beans at all. I think you're winning. And it's like, at what point? Does an employee just overstay and, you and know, they're welcome? The, that happens the second time around. It's like, Miss such and such, I thought I told you to like get rid of the dog. Like the dog, it will be the dog is gone just as you requested. You know, I'm like, but did he? Was the dog gone? No, no. Yeah, yeah again, <laughs> I can't help. I haven't seen this. I have. I remember seeing this movie, but it was so long ago. But hearing you guys describe it and retell it, it sounds a it sounds a lot like servant. Servants on Apple TV. Servant. Okay, well, we don't know. We don't know servant. Oh, you guys don't know. You got to watch it. It's 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 all right. It's a it's an okay well. Again, show. this is but, the, but it sounds like the there's inspiration, inspiration. once the, again something modern that is still, uh, and that's the thing. You know, this was a film where the the name Damien did not have any kind of like evil connotations before this movie. You know, and then afterwards, I'm pretty. I bet you the the that 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 the. the yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> there, you know, the Donner knew what he was doing, um, and uh, and for the first time, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop some uh, knowledge. Okay, Socrates would consult his Damien, and that that was his voice where he would talk to and and to work out the Socratic method and the way he talked to himself and and oh, like, I didn't know that. and the way he questioned things. He referred to it as his Damien. Oh, his Damon, yeah. His Damon. Yeah. Um, uh, we have... Uh, uh, this film was a big hit. It's part of the time, you know, it says Jaws only comes out in 75, this comes out in 76. So it's the beginning of, you know, the sort of the big budget blockbusters are, are hitting out all over the place. And... Oh, one... Okay, you know, before, before we wrap up on... Ed pointed this out to me. Now, John... Um, uh, I don't know how, how, you know, synchronicity as they like to say. So a very famous 
uh, DC comic superhero story is the is a story called Kingdom Come, which is about the future of the DC universe and sort of like you know where you know uh, the trajectory of where they are going. And in that story, uh, it was uh, the concept was by. Um, Mark Wade. Mark Wade, but uh, you know, Ross. it's really Alex Ross coming up with a lot of it. And yeah. Alex Ross's art, one of his big things is that um, he likes to He's base a, no, a lot. He's Norman likes to base, Rockwell of, right, of yeah, of but he also culture. likes to base a lot of his characterization, how he how he illustrates and paints these characters. He takes a lot of real world references. Often, like sometimes, the visage he they look very much like certain actors. Maybe sort of like your dream casting of like that character, and so. Who was his future Batman? But he based him on Gregory Peck. There and it's on. I mean, there's just no way around it. He looks like Gregory Peck. Now that said, like whether now, wait now yeah. what comes after? What is Batman in the future has a son? Who is the who is the, what's the name of Batman's son? John Damian. Oh, Damian Wayne. Damian Al Ghul. Oh, Wayne Al Ghul. Damian Wayne. You know what I mean? So like so it's, it's synchronicity. Like, yeah, yeah, like there's you know, a lot like, of like Donner again strikes with something from his, you know, having a weird legacy, you know, going on. And you know what? Who you know what? Come to think of it, wasn't it uh, who was who was the who was the 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 uh, the, the writer at the time that that did, that did that in the Batman comics that brought Damien back? Was it Jeff Johns? No, it wasn't Jeff Johns. It was um you, uh, Scottish. Um oh, um uh uh yeah, um, you know, uh, X-Men Morrison. Morrison, right. Right. Think about it, Ed. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. feels like a thing Morrison would think <laughs> up. Where he's like, I'm going to name this child Damien, and uh, it's going to be because I want to... <laughs> oh, no. I Here's what I assume. I assume that that is what Morrison listens to like on his... He wakes up, okay? Shout out to Morrison. Shout out to Morrison. Oh, we're having a great day here. Let me get my cream, my sugar. All right, now... I'm thinking, like, maybe Magneto loses head. <laughs> um, so, um, this is a big film, and it, like I said, this is what gets him Superman. We're going to skip over Superman. Uh, but this is the beginning of, like, the ball rolling with him in movies. And uh, a, a little bit later, I want to get into, like, uh, the fact that he came from TV and, and, and did this, even though, like you said, he had done a, a film, like, you know, like in 68 or whatever. Right, yeah, exactly. Well, I think that was his first. And so what you um what you kind of start seeing is this journeyman excellence, but also the fact that he plays to what the material is. He will always adapt to what the material is and what will serve that best. And we're going to get into the next film after these words from friends and that movie is going to be in chronological order. Um, uh, Lady Hawk and then Goonies and then we will finish that up with Scrooge In the Kitchen with Roro R-O-R-O if you're looking for bite-sized bits of yumminess and need to satisfy that sweet tooth then check out In the Kitchen with Roro on Instagram each item especially made by our personal friend Rosie here in Brooklyn also coming to YouTube that's In the Kitchen with Roro we had our bathroom basement done. Anna Maria Stanimir Gromo, a friend of the podcast who lives out in France, she consulted and she says, hey, let me design your, your basement bathroom. And that's exactly what you did. 
She did everything um, via email, via FaceTime. Did the renderings sent, and everything, right? The renderings right? and everything, and completely beautiful. I took the renderings and uh, hired a contractor, and they are currently putting the, as we we're speaking, putting the finishing touches on my basing. And it looks fantastic. It looks great. Servicing clients domestic and international. A master's here to help you through your different phases to transform your space into a reflection of you. Go to masterdesign.com. That is a master spelled A-M-A-S-T-A design. Welcome back from Words from Friends. Uh, we're going to skip over a bunch because, again, we could... His rise, you know, from Superman is well-documented. We've talked about Superman a whole bunch fair, of lot. We we also did a, a podcast on Superman, too, right? We've, yeah, we've done... Yeah, we have more than past. enough. So we, we've you know, already, we've covered him yeah. to the nth degree. Yeah. So... What we're going to go is uh, this film, uh, which comes out in 1985, um, before Lethal Weapon, uh, before Goonies, technically. And it is a absolute, very dear and near to my heart movie. And it is a movie called Lady Hawk from 1985 uh, with uh, Rutger Hauer, Michelle Pfeiffer, Matthew Broderick, and Leo McKern. Uh, this is a film that again is so dear to Miguel's heart that he was—he's willing to kill me <laughs> just for just for me having you know certain critiques of uh, about it. Like it's, it's as if I I can't. It's I feel like I can't really like. I want to put a curse on you. I want to put a curse on you and your wife, so they could never you'll be together but forever apart. <laughs> if uh, you do not love this film, then no one shall. Miguel, are you the Antichrist? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, no. <laughs> I mean, it's very possible. Uh, Miguel, the real Miguel, may be dead in a, you know, a dog's grave somewhere. And that's just how it is. Uh, but yeah, this is a film with a, I have a ton of good feelings about. Uh, it comes out in 85. It's a fantasy, romantic, um, kind of a mid-budget sort of movie, uh, which we don't really get medieval, too much. Medieval fantasy and it again, uh, just like I said in the intro part, where it's sort of like twenty million dollar budget, right? You know, whereas you look at Goonies as him going, "I'm planting my flag on kid '80s movie mountain." Lady Hawk is him going, like, "What is another?" Where there are a ton of fantasy films that have that uh, you know have their home in the era of the '80s, and many of them are in that all time perennial sort of. You've got your never ending stories. You've got your uh, Excaliburs, you've got your Conans, mm. you've got Beastmaster, on and on and on and on. These films were made. Some of them were on the lower end, like Beast, Beastmaster, which are which are sort of stretch their budget kind of to the low budget sort of area. And some of them are trying to go for something more. And the, the sword and sorcery, you know, fantasy sort of genre has a lot of ups and downs in the 80s. They are making a lot of them. Not all of them are great. Not all of them... Or in, making their money or hits. In, in fact, this one is a complete box this office is a bit, this flop. This is a flop. This With $20 million dollar budget, it, um, it, in the box office, it, it just rakes in uh, uh, 18.4. So it loses money. Um, now, that said, it has a cast, a very stellar cast. Matthew Broderick, Rutger Hauer, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, Liam, uh, Liam, Liam McKern, um, John Wood, and... You know, like, uh, we'll get to, I mean, if you want to talk about what your overall reaction, because you're very much in love with this movie, I'm saying this, it's a very, it's, it's a very beautiful love story. 
but I had some issues with it. Um, for one thing, that Alan Parsons produced theme, as soon as you pop, as soon as you pop this in and watch it, you go, whoa, what is going on? You know, it's got like uh, the eagle and the moon and the and the sun. You, uh, you and- said that the opening sequence reminded you of like every like Skinamax or Silk Stockings show on like. Listen, this is it has a very modern score to the, the very synth modern score going. There on. is there is a lot of synth in it too, but. But that's also, a lot of synth. <laughs> but no, yeah, there's a lot of synth. That, that that's that's very Eddie Van Halen. There's, I'm not. You're not gonna. That's that's the beginning of Jump. Let's not pretend. And here's the. It's he, he's doing something very different compared to what John, what many directors were doing. Well, if they were producing, his, his, and you had John Williams on your side. Apparently, this was a point of contention between him and his editor. Believe it or not. Okay. And Stuart, uh, Stuart Baird uh, apparently is like this is just like. Apparently he was really big on like let's get Jerry Goldsmith back for this. Um, now I want to tell you, uh, the, the making of this movie is also very important to Donner's personal life because this is the film where he um, works with and then uh, becomes intimate with his future wife. And apparently this coincided with him being on a binge of Alan Parsons, uh, Ed believe music, and it's sort of like he he wanted it to be this big romantic love letter to his this this woman who would be his wife in a way and it sort of seeps into everything and he, no one could talk him out of using that, that Alan Parsons score apparently um but no continue with your you know if any if there's anything your impressions of well the I was just reading that you know that uh Siskel Niebuhr gave a thumbs up you know um but there are certain criticisms that Broderick um Broderick's character um Philippe the Mouse uh, no, a lot of his jokes were were very didn't anachronistic. Didn't work for you. And again, I'm asking no, your no, no. opinion. No, no, no. But here's the thing. I thought that Broderick was perfect. And, I said, and this is what I said to you about, about Rutger Hauer. Because Rutger Hauer's um, uh, 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 character, Navarre, there were many castings prior to him, right? You know, um, they, they wanted to to cast, uh, I think, Kurt Russell at one point. Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Kurt Russell. Um, I'm trying to think of someone else. But it was this sort of thing where... Um, Howard had was going to be the part of the main hench maquette, right? And he told Donner, "Was like, look, I really want this part. And if you ever, if you, you can't get your your first, second, or third choices, think about switching me out." And, and I, I will I'm do not this. listen. I'm not someone who really follows uh, Rutger Hauer's career very that closely, but it was a f- breath of fresh air to see him for once. As the good the guy. hero and the good guy and the romantic lead, you know, um, and he was just perfect for this. You know, Michelle Pfeiffer is just completely gorgeous in this. Um, and guess what? Rutger Hauer isn't the, the ne- necessarily central protagonist of the of, of, of yeah. That of is movie. one of the you know, Roderick the about, is yeah. the central character in this. You know, he's, he's your in into this story that he's a part of. Yes, but it's much more. It's not told from either of those the the lovers' point. Correct. Of view. It's he gets involved in their story, and it, and that's where the movie grabs me. The movie and, grabs me because of the whole, you know, the te- the sort of tension. It's like, well, you tell her when you do see her, and you tell him when you do see him, because the two lovers basically they they transform into into animals. Uh, one um, Navarre turns into a, a wolf, and uh, Pfeiffer turns into Lady Hawk, uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, yes, a hawk, hawk. You know, yes, and um, and it's a curse. This is the by the way. This is not a point of contention for me. It's just that 
when you're by the way the roman catholic church the, i guess in donner's mind does a lot of crazy things maybe apparently he's like they're, they're, they're giving to, out babies they get, can they can call up the power they, of satan yeah, at any time satanic curses <laughs> basically the story goes there's a bishop here an evil bishop the, the the villain of the movie who casts a curse on this couple you know and uh, and because of that, one is not able to see uh, see, see the other in its true always form. Always together, but forever apart. Correct. You know. And you know, um, it's a fantasy film from the '80s. It's sword and sorcery, but if you have to put it into a category, even just visually, it's not Beastmaster. No. Okay. The, it the, is much closer to Excalibur. It the, is the much armor closer to- and the costume. By the way, um, it's fantastic. Fantastic, but at the same time, like this does not belong in this time, you know. But that I doesn't don't think, matter. But see, I, that that is one of the but key that parts matter. of the film is that it's it, like said it doesn't matter. The costuming works, yeah. period, and you know it works for the characters. It works for the setting. I don't know what is or is not historically accurate. Most mm. people don't, so it doesn't it doesn't matter in that sense. But it looks good. It looks and great. I will say there are things. Um, talking to some of my friends online about this and. Um, there is a series that is called uh, Berserk, okay, and it is a sort of a fantasy medieval themed um, uh, manga and anime from Japan. And when you look at the characters in that and you know, portions of the storyline, it sort of feels almost like it's a mashup of two Rutger Hauer movies, partially Lady Hawk, where like like again, that type of armor, that kind of that's what they look like in that in that in this manga. Uh, and also uh, another Rutger Hauer film, uh, the Paul Verhoeven uh, directed uh, Flesh and Blood, which uh, uh, because Clark's here, we won't get into it. But it's, you know, it's a little sexy. People. It's a little sexy. Um, and so here you have again the the creator of that manga giving credit to Lady Hawk Lady as Hawk. part of his inspiration. And um, Lady Hawk's, ins- uh, you know, Lady Hawk. I don't think as a film, because you said it wasn't a big hit at the time, it builds audience on cable and via VHS, you know. Um. And it was one. Now, here's the thing. I'm Again, like I, I didn't get to see Lady Hawk until just several days ago, you know, like because like, as you brought up, it was on HBO all the time. And I go and at, listen, the six year old me goes, I don't want to watch this movie. I want to watch Star Wars again. <laughs> again I want right. to watch it again. Not this. Not, not, um, now, this is Broderick pre- he had he had done war games, but he, this is before pre Ferris Bueller. Bueller. Um, he was and, already ri- kind and, of a rising well, here's, star. Uh, you, we talked about um, uh, the castings that were going to be for Navarre. This was originally conceived of as think about you know that you talk about to New York. Uh, how would you like Dustin Hoffman as Philippe the Mouse? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> well, you, you tell. Oh well, you tell him. You tell you tell her that uh, <laughs> it's like yeah, um, uh, and Broderick, God, he is so good in this part. I don't get people's look. Look, I feel that that's a very nerdy fanboy thing. People are like, oh, he sounds too modern or he's too New York because he's not doing it either. He's not really doing some sort of strong faux English accent. He's not doing a French accent, which is what he should have. Um. And he's talking to God like, and, he's, oh, and Lord, he has you know, this like, this very Woody Allen-esque sort of like I'm speaking mm-hmm. to God about stuff. Yeah, I do get that that kind, the Woody Allen-esque kind of vibe, not necessarily in his voice, but the fact that that's sort of a bit that I get. But I think it works gangbusters. Um, and the truth is, if he has a sort of neutral accent, and again, 
here's the that's a fanboy complaint because it's like uh Rutger Hauer isn't French either. Neither is Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, neither is Leo McKern. Why is Leo McKern speaking with his natural accent if it's supposed to be, you know, uh, medieval France? So come on, let's like that. That that is a complaint as always. I will also take on your. I totally get someone not being down with the score. Uh, completely. It's not. It's not. It's the way it the score is feel, placed. With it can feel the incongruous. If that again, if one has those expectations that this film, ha a film like this, has to have that kind of score, mm. uh, but one is I think Donner, he's going for something. You know, he's just like he's like, let's that do something different. True. Let's just do something different. Let's see how this works. And it's not a synth. You know, here's the thing: you listen to that intro, and uh, 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 someone I know on uh, again online, uh, shout out to Perfect Cell of Superhero Hype said. It felt like every single form of music played together at once because it does. There's a little bit of like a disco line. There's the synths, but then it. But see, people forget it also does have very large orchestral portions to it. It's, so I feel I can get if someone doesn't like it, get them. But I think it does work for that film. You, and it works for the vibe that Donner's going for. You bring up that Donner's trying to go for something. Now, at the at the um, one of the final scenes where Rutger Hauer he's lifting Michelle Pfeiffer up, and they have the that really uh, cathartic moment where they just kiss for the very first time in a long time. They embrace, and yes. In and and you see, it's very theatrical in that, and a, a very dramatic lighting, right? So the the stained glass is broken. There's the sun, sun shining. shining. Yeah. Being surrounded by, Monks. hey, the bishop's lackeys, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got it. And they're it, just cool beans this with is, it. This the, is, by the way, the greatest Sunday <laughs> services they have ever, ever seen. seen. They got a fight. Their they boss got a curse is dead. lifted. Yeah, and that's Their the boss thing. is dead. And the boss just bit it. So, right? Like, and everyone's like all cool beans like, uh, hey. Uh, I have to, well. I, I, we're, we're, we're good with this, right? You, you're okay with this? Well, I have to assume you know? that like since, since the bishop was a bit of a dick. <laughs> I am betting that people were like, you know, I like also quite frankly, I would not be surprised if that whole like um he cursed this couple was not like a rumor that was like common knowledge. It was demonic, would you say? <laughs> and then back then in the medieval Santini. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Um and like you you I think the strong points of the film are um the choice that he like said that he makes to be like the, again, the casting because he's got, you know, we 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 mentioned Broderick, you know, Rucker Hauer, who is so phenomenal as this hero. He's really great. He's the toughest guy in any situation. Mm. Like this is a movie where he literally just like slaps guys' swords away with like his gauntlet because he's like, get that out of my face. You now here's the thing. I wait, 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 and you've got Michelle Pfeiffer. You've got Leo McKern. Leo McKern, who by the way had appeared in The Omen, so he's you know, again, Steeler, right. And um, he's imperious, the monk in this, and like has one of my favorite. I don't know if it's just because I'm I'm Roman Catholic again, but uh, the hawk is wounded at one point. <laughs> Broderick has got to get bring him to imperious, the monk, to get healed. And so he's like, you know, Broderick's down there. He's like, I've, I've. It's almost like a Monty Python <laughs> sketch, quite frankly, because like you know, I've been I've been ordered to. This hawk has been you know shot with an arrow. I've been told to bring it to you. What is that? Oh yes, definitely. Well, wonderful. Bring it in. We'll dine oh, we'll together. Die. We'll no, no, yeah. no. We we can't eat this hawk. What? 
Oh God, is it Lent already again? <laughs> uh, which oh, I didn't get this joke off uh, in the in in the in the uh, in the Omen uh, portion. I just want to. Um, in a, there's a part in the Omen where Damien freaks out before he goes to into a, an Episcopal church because it's going to be an Episcopal wedding. And all right, call call me an arrogant former uh, Roman Catholic, but uh, S- Satan's not afraid of the Episcopal church. <laughs> okay, he's not gonna he's not gonna freak out at diet Catholicism. Okay, it's just not you know that doesn't track for him. But anyway, um. Th- he has again. It's not just that. Oh, you could have just been like, oh, I, you know, like again. Let's just have Kurt Russell and some other, you know, beautiful ingenue in this, and and you know, we don't care what the other roles are like. But no, Wood as the bishop is amazing. Alfred Molina, Doctor Octopus, that is true, yeah, you know, is in this as as Cesar, Cesar the Wolf Hunter. The wolf, yeah, uh, you know, as we said, Howard is with you know he you know he makes sure that this works. And again, you see him putting a lot of effort into just high quality all over the place. You know, the sets, the setting, it's filmed in Italy and it looks beautiful. The uh, the cinematographer is the cinematographer that would go on to work with, uh, um, um, who, who directed uh, Last Emperor, Ed? Uh, Z- uh, Franco Zeffirelli. No, for, 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 I think we're wrong, I think we're wrong. But, uh, yeah, but uh, so, like, he had, there's definitely a, Thought put into the production design, colors, this, that. Fellini, sorry. Fellini, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Federico Fellini. Fellini? It's not no, Fellini either. No? It's, no. Bernardo Bertolucci. There you go. Okay, anyway. Um, here, I mean, like, one of the great scenes in this movie if I that I think there should be a class about is the final fight sequence in the church because there there are all of these elements that come together in this movie you've got this um, this amazing production design right down and the design of the of armor the armor the which armor, by the way is very uh, otherworldly right you know something just that just says okay this fantasy. can be long fantasy yeah. star wars whatever you know all right but think about it he's like right down to and this is the th- <laughs> it's not a rom well it's not it's not it's a romantic and magical adventure okay and like he, the production design gets down to the horses, the bad guy and the good guy ride. Like John, I'll show you a clip from it, but it is literally like a white version and a black version of these giant, like massive horses in a, in a church. The good guy in black and the bad and the bad guy in a white armor. And it is one of you know, it's one of my most favorite. Um, Fight, choreo- uh, fight choreography scenes with swords because it's kind of what I want ideally out of out of almost anything. It, it definitely shows a person, who, people who are supposed to be skilled combatants, mm-hmm. but it gets rough. It gets down. And it's and unpredictable. Dirty. The moves. It looks like a ninja shredder versus the. Poker. Well, here's the thing: the the moves as as martial artists speaking, you know, um, uh, the 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 moves themselves and the fight choreography are is very unpredictable. Like there's a scene where. You know, um, Navarre is about to like he's about to eat it with the sword, but what does he do? He does a a he roll on roll. a rolling foot sweep. You know, well, no, no, it's not a rolling foot sweep. I, I don't know what he call what it. What happens like, is 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 Maquette is um, about to stab him, mm-hmm. and so he rolls he just to rolls. the point where he can roll over the sword, grab it himself, and then when Maquette chose to try and grab it himself. Mm-hmm. Instead, he impa- he gets impaled. Now, here's the thing. Also, it's like uh, 
uh, Philippe the Mouse just sort of tosses the, the tries to slide the sword, like uh, Navarre's um, family sword, to him. I think a lesser director would be like, oh, you know, he's going to take that sword and he's going to vanquish his foe right. once and for all. That's nope. not what happens. Like, it's a sloppy, dirty fight with a lot of sloppy, dirty moments, even though Navarre is a badass and is dominating. It is not perfect. It's not a perfectly choreographed martial arts-like sequence mm -hmm. or something like that. And I love that about it. Uh, by the way, about the uh, fight, you want to talk about fight choreography? That was, that was uh, Broderick doing his own stunts while he's trying to escape with the guards on top of the uh, oh yes yes uh, yes on the uh, on the uh, uh, there's on the quite a bit of whatever it. I mean like I'm like wow well he was also very young holy you know? cow like he's doing all that you know and and I'm like I was just quite swimming impressed. you know when he, he you there's a lot yeah. of him like underwater yeah. sequences mm -hmm. he's climbing and like yeah um it's it is a grand adventure that he crass very well all the characters are super well delineated they're very memorable even i would say you know this is one of michelle pfeiffer's early jobs right and she's so young that she doesn't need special effects to glow she that, glows even when there got, isn't anything when they say i think there was a line where it's like she's got porcelain skin we yes. were all with him because yeah. um, both leo and um think about her Philippe, they, both, they both said like hey you, you're gonna fall in love with her the way, I fell the in way, love with her. The, her, she was brought in the first moment, and it's a, it's again, it's incredible cinema, mm. where you know Broderick, think, you know uh, Navarre has been transformed into the wolf. He's attacked someone outside. Broderick doesn't know this yet, uh, you know that this is happening, and so he's going to try and kill the wolf with a, with a, you know, with a crossbow. And the hawk is now transformed into Isabeau, the woman, and she stops him. And there's complete because Navarre wears this black cloak. So the clothes that he leaves behind when he transforms are what often what she has to put on. And so because she's got this black cloak, there's this bit intense close-up, and it's only on the cloak. And then slowly she turns, and that porcelain skin peeks mm. out from under the cloak. And then her eyes, and then the rest of her visage. It's, it's, a, it's amazing. But there's more to her and than she, just her beauty, right? Because she— Yes, that is, right? yes. Pfeiffer is now, a strong character. Now, about characterization— there's a scene in particular that I like, you know, and I'll, I'll get to my critiques later about it, you know, um, where Navarre, uh, this is after, basically there was a scene where him as a wolf, he was basically going to drown in, in, uh, in, in, a, um, in a frozen lake, you know, and they, could, they sort of rescue him. The next morning, everyone wakes up and, and, uh, and Navarre basically, he gave, he basically gave instructions, you know, um, uh, let me die. I think he wanted to die, right, or whatever. Whatever the case was, like he was mad at Broderick for sit for 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 not following instructions, and then he sees the scars that's on that that's on um, on his chest. It's like, where'd you get those scars? Right. And Leo's like, telling him, he's like, like yeah, he, he, he was saving your life, your life, life you fool. Night. Yeah. Please forgive me. And there's a scene where it's very tender. You it have some there, very someone who's are, just completely. Ed, Dogged again, Ed, getting back into the the church scene, like, at the finale after the bad guy's vanquished and the curse is now removed, you know, McKern and Broderick are crying. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They're these, and they almost feel That's like genuine, boy. real, <laughs> real tears that they, you know, because, again, they are, you know, they are, they are working with the two lovers to try and break this curse, and they've, and they've done it. And it's like we've accomplished, and that's this. where the movie does win me, you know, because there's that ending. It's that it's the ending, that Hollywood ending that we um, that Donner gives us, it delivers. Now, 
again, uh, my problems with it were, you know, were some of the editing were kind of off. And maybe, again, because the music was just sort of really incongruent with with the genre of it. But again, because you say Donner is going for something. You know, yeah, at least like, you, know, you have to give it to him. He could have been Coca Cutter. He could have just been gotten. Mm-hmm. And, and that John is not Williams cookie cutter. That's a thing. It is not cookie cutter. And it's and it's just like I said. It's sort of small, big budget that we don't really get that often. It's not trying to be Lord of the Rings. It's not trying to be Willow or something. You know, it's not trying to be some like oh epic armies clashes. This is a very small, intimate story that happens to also have magic and you know these sort of. Um, adventure story cliches but speaking it's speaking of very the much about the characters and he Donner delivers speaking of the budget what in your mind what do you think why it was a flop uh I do think that they're prop I I'll be honest with you let's let's lay our we retroactively we, we all love like Rutger Hauer but <sighs> he's not Broderick, Harrison Ford he's not Kurt Russell he's, he's not, not yeah he's not that Broderick had not like I said this was before you know he was brought in because War Games was a hit, but even with War Games being as big a hit as it was, and it was a and it, it did very well, um, he had yet to really, uh, you know, ask, you know, get up. And this is not, I think, a kind of film that they sort of like wanted Broderick Render to like bring a younger audience. But I don't think that they, I don't think a young person in 1985 is gonna go to this movie just because Matthew Broderick's in it, you know. Um, and it is a small, and it is a little. I got to tell you, it it marches to the beat of its own drummer. We've talked about like, you know, if you're expecting Excalibur type armor, you're not going to get that in this movie. Mm-hmm. If you're expecting Lord of the Rings st- size, you know, you know, spectacle, this is not that movie. I it, it, there's some understand, and it is if you don't if you let the you know oh this soundtrack I don't like really you know it's like it look like the marketing also it's like you know just looking on the poster. Uh, um, well, his poster is a Drew Struzan one, right? Yeah, but and you, it's off the beaten. You know, I think uh, when I think of Drew Struzan's two like most like, huh? That's not like any of his other work. The first of the thing, mm-hmm. and the other one is this one where it is like okay, it's just it's like Lady Hawk. There's a tree, Broderick. Who and again, it's Drew Struzan. He looks great. Michelle Pfeiffer looks great, and it is them behind a tree, and then like there's a scene in the film where. Uh, Nava throws the throws his family sword at a tree, and they're kind of using that imagery. How did that happen, by the way? Can I ask you? Like oh, the yeah, one that goes, like, you know, and I'm like, wait, it's a, how did and that it's happen? a big scene with a lot how of dialogue, right? How does he do and that? And you see that, you know, it gets thrown, and Broderick is like really close to where the sword prop lands in the tree. I I honestly can't remember if I saw wires or anything. I didn't either. I'm like Right. And it's like going like, <laughs> okay, how many times did you have to do that? How unsafe or safe was it? Um Broderick's a young guy. Okay, let's let's bring in this let's bring in the uh, the, the sword expert, you know, and then he's gonna basically Did they have did they have did they just have Ralph Macchio on standby <laughs> just in case anything happened to Ooh, Broderick? No. Um, no. But um No. I mean, overall, this film, this is a film also near and dear to my heart because um, I discovered this as a young boy with my family. It's one of those, um, we didn't go see it in the theaters. We, it was at HBO and on um, VHS and it was on VHS the first time that we saw it. So it was a sort of like, what's this about? I, you know, what's this film? And it just became part of sort of my family sort of like canon and history. And then it just 
so happened that we were also, because of me, you know, watch Superman a lot, it's like, oh my God, this is a Richard Donner film. But you're right. It is not, it didn't do well despite that. It has a bit of a cult following these days, a very, and a very strong cult following because it is sold on, as you said, the strength of the romance and that it's such a good looking film that the, that the, that the characters and the acting are, it's so strong. Um, I recommend it to anyone. If you have not seen it, please, dear God, watch this movie. It, is, it deserves a watch. If you've never seen it and you love movies, go watch it. You know, um, And uh, I think you'll put it this way. The, the opening of the movie, I'm asking myself, like, whoa, what's going on here? I, I have no idea what's going on. By the end of the movie, it gives you that Hollywood ending. And you walk away. Song in your heart. He knocks so, it. Yeah, you he, know. It, he accomplished. Donner does what he often does. He accomplishes his mission. You know. Uh, and we're gonna go back to uh, our mission after we have some words from friends, and we're gonna get into his other two movies that remain. I love our logo. No, really, I love our logo. The to be continued fanboy podcast logo was provided to us by friend of the show, Matt Sulkowski, who also runs MSD Studios. And what does Matt do at MSD Studios? He provides positive reinforcement for your brand. Located in Philadelphia, Matt has worked with clients of all sizes and has helped them to focus on designs for campaigns, rebrands, and new brands. Get in touch for your next project, MSD Studios, that's msdstudios.com and those words are friends um we're coming back to uh hit the uh next film on the uh, uh on the agenda for Richard Donner and that is that 1985 was the year where Richard Donner had a miss with uh Lady it Hawk is. as much as I love it and he had a bonafide genuine gigantic pop culture Spielberg like, presents you know, in the age of MTV, by the way, yeah, okay, the MTV is huge. Cindy Lauper is is on top again with your Cindy Lauper. Well, again, because it's a very, it's a very, uh, it's zeitgeist. He's in the zeitgeist with this film. This is my wife's favorite movie, by the way. Can <laughs> yes, I say? yeah, it's very interesting. And, with it. uh, and no, well, for me, it's like the Goonies was not. We're not Goonies guys. We're not. I, Goonies. Ironically, we're not Goonies. We right? would not be. We, we we Ed. What you're saying, Ed? What you're saying is. We're the guys that drove Josh Brolin off the road. <laughs> That's Troy. what you're saying. <laughs> Goddamn cinnamon bitch. But yes, Troy. Uh, me this and Ed, guy, this me guy and, Troy should have been arrested for what he <laughs> yeah. did. You know? me, and, me and Ed were having a discussion where we said, as much as we are intimate with this film and we know it very well, and as good as it is, it is a very good movie. It is one of, it deserves to be in the canon of the 80s kids movies. Personally, me and Ed don't, it's not in our personal canon. We appreciate it. We like it, but it's not. It, it's not our go-to, you know, nostalgia piece. Um, what What did I say that I said? I, I probably saw. I said I if a, a film with a similar vibe but you, different. I said if I'm gonna go for something like that, I'm gonna watch Stand by Me. Well, you mentioned also Explorers, right? Because Horsley, which is yeah. a, a lesser of the kid movies, right? You know, yeah, it is but, in that C level almost. But, but it did, ha but it does have. Uh, I I, re I resonated more with something like 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 Explorers mm -hmm. because of its science fiction aspect. Mm -hmm. of it. um, this had Spielberg's, um, um, you know, his his thumbprints were 
were, were sort of well and let's be honest it has a very kids indiana joan vibe literally it has short round in it you right, know yes, jonathan exactly. kwan um uh, who plays data um by the way i i really have to say like you know like but the worst thing ever done I mixed a pot of fake puke at home, and when I went to the movie theater, I hid a puke in my jacket, climbed up to the balcony, and then, then I made a noise like this, and then dumped it onto the side of the people in the audience. With Robert Davi, evil Robert Davi and Joe Pants. I like this kid. Well, I mean, right off the off the top, again, I want to say. This is a good movie. For me, uh, personally, though, if, if we're allowed to have our own goddamn opinions, <laughs> um, I think one of the reasons why I, um, for whatever reason I said uh, as a kid, this was sort of like, oh, people ha- cannot like things. Because I, like, I saw everyone was losing their mind mm, for yeah. it. And while I liked it, I didn't lose my mind for it. And part of the reason looking back is there's a lot going on in this movie. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, it's it's like, okay, it's going to be a kid's movie, but the kids are going to be on a quest. What's the quest for? We're going to have pirates. Oh, by the way, we're not just going to have pirates. We're going to have uh, Escape Criminal Family. Oh, by the way, Escape Criminal Family uh, has some sort of, like, mutated, like, Superman, like, monster ogre as part of, like, it's like, there's oh, wow. a lot going on. There's more real estate porn going on, right? Because oh, yeah, it's we the didn't... corporations that are taking over <laughs> taking over the entire town, right? Well, yeah, we That's didn't, the we didn't, backdrop we didn't of the really whole... even talk about why real estate porn, because, like, the beginning of The Omen is basically <laughs> just, like, the beginning of The Omen, I was, like, texting Ed, I'm going, like, so it's just, like, Oh my God! Look at this fantastic home we have here. Look at it. We've got a we've got a library. We've got this giant yard. Oh my God! I'm you gonna know? make out with you, my wife, and we'll go for upstairs. Say, and- for some reason, staring at my child in the hands of my nanny is making me horny. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but the ba- yes, the real estate yeah. porn is the the basic backdrop of the Goonies uh, plot, right? Which is basically corporation is going to take over um, this place in Oregon. I think it's Oregon, and uh, this the seaside town. Uh, a lot of families are being forced out of their homes and to relocate. And the kids of these families, uh, who are, they have you a, know, they're they're they're, they're very, basically in that sort of like. Um, Little rascals, yeah. kind of like you know, they're 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 a tight knit group of kids who yeah. who who do kid things, and they're on the precipice of teenage years, and now on top of that, it seems like they're all going to go their separate ways. Each character fulfills a certain quadrant. You know, you've got the you've got the kid that talks a lot, Corey. You know, you've got the um, the you've loud, got the, jo- the, the 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 jock of the group, the older kid, and that's. That's Josh Brolin, that's, that's Thanos Josh, himself. That's Thanos. You got, you know, the Sam, pretty girl. You know, you've we got, got Samwise as the inspirational leader. Mm. You know, and so on. The, you got the, the you got the nerdy Asian kid. Right. Right. So, but also these are going again. What is a comp, the common threads for Donner? This is an impeccably casted film. That, awesome like, performances from each. There, there. The I have very high standards for kids, and even though I'm saying this was not one of my f- movies. You can't look at that film and go, these kids brought it. I see Gary Coleman standing right, right. The ghost of Gary Coleman, he's behind you. Um, <laughs> what you talking about, Miguel? <laughs> uh, you know, um, it's, 
it just it's a you know Spielberg as producer. This is a great looking film, and like we said, we've got the zeitgeist. It's like, oh hey, I want to you know what's big right now? As you said, MTV. Let's get Cindy Lauper and mm. get her to do a song, and Donner will. Will actually direct the music video, which was very common back then. Where if you had a music video for from a movie, chances are the director was the one who directed it. Uh, and there's a reason this is in the canon. It's incredibly charming. Um, I totally like. I even if it's not for me, you gotta understand the guy talking to you is a guy who has no love for ET. All right, but here, I can intellectually here. appreciate it. And this one, I uh, it, I get why it is part of the whole deal. And once more, again. Careers, careers that are reverberate genre-wise. You know, we've been using the term Samwise for 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 uh, Sean Astin, <laughs> but this is this is you know one of his first films, and he would go on to have a venerable film as both a child actor and then as an adult. I mean, we're talking, we're tracking from Goonies all the way to Bob Newby from Stranger Things, mm. Josh Brolin, you know, who is now part of the MCU. Uh, <laughs> It, it, it's just, you know, this has a lot, you know, sadly to say, yes, even Corey Feldman, who his, his career would then go on from those years to, you know, to do the Corey other films with the Corey Aim and become a pop and become a huge pop culture staple of the 1980s. Um, this also goes into Dick Donner being the nice guy that he is, because when Corey Feldman has had various moments of difficulty in his life. The person who's held out his hand and has helped him, you know, out has been Dick Donner. Dick Donner paid for Corey Haim's um, uh, drug re rehab. He gave him jobs like when he was an adult. So uh, they made another um, uh, Tales from the Crypt movie and Donner made sure that he got a part in it because he needed money. You know, back to the characterization. Back to the character. Corey's Corey's character. I just want to point out that Corey's character, oh, by the way, Corey for many, many years has just been like, you know, like just a, a subject of, of. I don't even want to get into the. Yeah. No, I don't even Corey. want to get to that. Yeah, I don't want what to I'm talk saying, about what I'm getting to is this. It's like, I, I don't want to yeah, talk about but it. But what I'm getting to is this, is that his character who ends up being one of the an most annoyingest his pieces of this movie. <laughs> his name is Mouth. Right. Um, and also down to, by the way, uh, he translates the bad, the, the bad Spanish the bad language Spanish translation. <laughs> is amazing. Yeah. So now, and by the great performance on that part, right? By the end of it, I was like, I like this character. <laughs> like, well, honestly, by the end of it, having me. seen so much, is you you really do wish there had been a sequel. Like, like the like. There is a possible when you watch it, you go, this was such a big hit. It could have been Kid Indiana Jones. Like you could have done another movie two years later and they're just a little older, you know, do ghost be stranger things with this. I'm just like, this is the whole thing of this movie. These kids go on adventures, find treasure, whatever, just like Indiana Jones. I don't know. It's a it's in a very strong film and it stands out in a time where like every other weekend, there was some iconic '80s franchise or '80s kids property that was coming into and making money hand over fist, and yet he—it's like, hey, the guy that brought you Superman is also here as well, and in full '80s mode. And you know, I guess he kind of needed it after like Lady Hawk, like flops. Um, 
And maybe, you know, that may be why maybe Lady Hawk also does fade so because it's like everyone just remembers Goonies from that period. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of weird, though. It's a very common thread. Children, youth, um, uh, it's just a very common thread among, among these movies. A movie that we're, we're not kind of discussing about is The Toy. Which, which, <laughs> where I have again, you know, like a, a lot. It just of, like we were just looking through it now, I, and it was like, oh, they did the toys. A like lot that. of the things that I had access to were very limited, you know, and 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 um, bootleg it, HBO um, afforded and, the toy for me, which I watched every other day. Now, here's my question, Ed. Here's my question, Ed. Did you watch it for the scene with the titties? Ah, uh, <laughs> you, you, it's not. U.S. It's U.S. <laughs> Jackie Gleason, rest in peace. Jackie Gleason, rest, rest in peace. peace. In that movie, um, yeah. But again, like the, somehow the um, children were just so important to Donner in these films, or not so important if they're the Antichrist. But then again, everything that's and there's it's a, the there's opposite a, and the there's flip a, side let's to get, it. Let's let's go with common threads. There's a lot of movies he does seem to be, you know, working in a time where we're talking about verisimilitude. And the reason his verisimilitude matters is because these movies are very flight of fancy. A lot of them are very flight of fancy. He brings groundedness. He brings a lot of strong character. He brings a lot of real world. But these are fan many oftentimes fantasy type films um, or are genre pieces that don't necessarily always have to be as tied down to reality as possible. Um and it's funny that, you know, like I said, this movie, the, this Goonies builds to a point where of absurdity. Um, <laughs> it really, I mean, come on, by the end there with the pirate cat, you know, all the rest of that stuff. Oh, uh, my God. The, uh, I, I just, I just figured it out because from my rewatch, you know, that, uh, oh, my God, like Donner actually pulled out the John Williams theme for Superman when Sloth <laughs> like rips the shirt open and he's like, he's Superman. I'm like, wait, where the, what, what's this song? Oh, I see. And, and here's the you thing. Know? What other director can pull off? Like, I want to, I, I want to give myself a BJ in this movie. And it become a classic moment but, where no one begrudges I'm Richard like, Donner that he did that. Like, Everyone's like, "Yes, that's awesome." It's just, you know, I'm just saying, and it's like, "Cause yeah, here's Richard Donner." Uh, also, discovering who Sloth was, you know, again, Manzuckus, you know, and you I'm like, football player, you know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> first draft, first round, um, um, uh, Manzuckus, you know, from we know from the seventh. Well, I mean, if you're old, if you're old like me. And, and he you know brings a little it bit in of that football. part. He is great as he is, Sloth. Yeah, you know. And, um, you know, uh, discovering that was, like, mind-blowing. I'm like, wait, the football player from the 70s? <laughs> with the Oaklands? Uh, with the Oakland? Uh, yeah, I mean, who played with Oakland? Are you kidding me? This is like, <laughs> my mind blew up. It, it really did. Um, so, um... I would like to. I'd like to, to to shift right over to the next movie, which I I would say is yeah no 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 kids in this movie Riggs no Riggs no, no kids there's a dog so, so he plants his like I said planting the flag uh, kid movie mountain um, but then he's given a the the crime thriller the cop the cop thriller. <laughs> Once upon a time, ladies and gentlemen. Once upon a once upon a time. 
there was a villain by the name of Gary Busey, who's still a villain in real life. <laughs> who was able to go toe-to-toe <laughs> with Martin Riggs. With Martin Riggs. So what is it? Tales of Lethal Weapons? <laughs> lethal Weapon Tales? As narrated by... As narrated by, <laughs> by Murtaugh. Uh, so, so you Gary know, Busey, once upon a time, he knew kickboxing. You know, like we said, uh, the, you know, some movies are just part of our DNA, and Lethal Weapons is one of those. Uh, is one of those movies. I mean, still being, you know, we don't get. Uh, it's uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. We don't episode get two awesome episodes of Always Sunny in Philadelphia without Richard Donner's work. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, Lethal Weapon. There were many crime thrillers coming out at that time. Here again, he is like, what is going to do to make this work? He uh, uh, he seems to zero in in terms of narrative and storytelling and really has a mind for what is going to get the audience, you know, involved in this story. And mostly he seems to concentrate on character, but it's not just character. In Superman, the movie, you know, he always says, like, you know, I have to get the audience to believe in wanting to see Superman and Lois get together. And as long as they have that... I got him. I got him. With um, Lady Hawk, it is, again, selling that romance, but doing it in a way by having it through the eyes of Philippe the Mouse. Here it is, I've got to build this relationship between these two characters. And I can't, you know, I don't think many people have this context, but the fact that Riggs and Murtaugh were both supposed to be Vietnam War vets, this was a common trope at the time in a lot of, like, action movies in the 80s. Um, however, he really makes it about these two guys who, you know, have to form a bond. And once you're on board with that relationship, the movie sings, you know, uh, and the fact that it's also a crackerjack action, you know, uh, thriller from the time and works on all those levels and has so many twists and turns and great sequences, I mean, that like, you know, I remember when Lethal Weapon came out in 87, and I'll never forget jo- um, George Siegel. You remember, uh, what, what was his name? George Siegel, local ABC uh, movie reviewer, right? Yeah, yeah. Mustache? Yeah. I'll remember It's his- wonderful. Yeah, I remember <laughs> what his review literally said was, he said, he says, I'll tell you this much. Um, I'm sure that next summer we'll we have a lot of great big action movies. But you know what? You're going to... Ask were they as good as Lethal Weapon were? It's something like that, mm. and he was right. Lethal Weapon set a standard, all right. Um, and it, it's in many ways the forerunner of a lot of things because Le- buddy cops. Lethal Weapon is before Die Hard. Okay, the, again, a, I, a I, film with a very similar vibe, in my opinion. Um, I think prior to to Lethal Weapon, if you're talking about buddy cop genre, you know, like I for. First thing that comes to my head is not a movie, but a TV show, Starsky and Hutch. I um, think the closest as a forerunner might be 48 Hours. Okay, all right. You know, it has the same sort of it. it, it one of one of John's but we, but, faves. But we were getting, but we were getting more so TV shows like uh, like I. Um, yeah, well, you always have yeah. some sort of duo kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and but you're in terms of movies. Here is this where it's like. We are going to set all of the parameters that everyone else is going to rip off after. You know, only here they're much more, they have a lot more meat on their bones. Like we were talking about these deleted scenes and 
a lot of the deleted scenes in uh, that he didn't end up using were basically to set up a very dark backstory of where Riggs is as a person. You know, Whoa, kid, you said you 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 said you saw a tattoo. Say, <laughs> it was like that, Roger. This is a special forces tattoo. Um, but um, uh, it definitely uh, is a film that everyone else tried to get in on like what's what are the what's the outline here you know what can i you know repurpose you know for my film going forward and you know it if anyone you know it's i doubt anyone has not seen lethal weapon but you know i can feel that maybe it's gone out of the zeitgeist mel gibson has had his public issues it's been a very long time but if someone out there hearing has not seen lethal weapon my god you're missing out on one of the great 80s the chemistry films. is impeccable, right? And this is this goes uh, very deep. I think. Um, listen, I, I watched a a, a a Donner tribute again. Glover and and Gibson. Mel, they're up there, and they're both they're they're doing this real life you know riff, right? Because they're they're pals. It's like seeing Riggs and Murtaugh and, in real and life. basically Glover is just like you you know what I I think I'm kind of offended. They're like, well, I'm sorry. Like you you talking about. The Last Temptation of, uh, temptation of Christ. No, that you didn't cast me in The Last Temptation of Christ. <laughs> you know, and they're just riffing before they get into the heart of the matter. You know, let's just talk about Richard Donner. You know, right, rather yeah. than just, so the chemistry between these two guys, oil and water, and what do you get? You get a fantastic combination that goes into um, multiple six, multiple sequels. 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 Yeah. Now here's the thing: I kind of have a Back to the Future thing about this, which is basically. Uh, I've seen the second one more, more than I've seen the first one, and the second one, um, which means I, I have a more affinity with the second one than I do with the first one. Because um, is David David Warner the bad guy in the second? No, one? he's not. The, no, he's not. not but he's he's kind of like discount David Warner. Okay, this guy. David he is Warner. very discount. The guy who Warner. gets crushed by the yeah, yeah by exactly, the exactly. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, you Martin Riggs? Yes, of the Chicago Riggses. Who are you? Um, <laughs> he, he, this is the thing. It launches not just its own franchise, but all of these copycats, you know, um, for good or ill, you know, obviously. And it does get a little stale as the sequels go on. I think the height is Lethal Weapon 1, Lethal Weapon 2, and then 3 and 4 are, they're just, I, Donner may have been, you know, stayed in the game maybe too long. Um, but when you get into 1 and 2, I have no idea, again, monkey wrenches over here. Um, uh, when you just look at the sort of near like perfect four quadrant Hollywood perfection that was Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 and then that they have meat on their bones with the drama and who the characters are um, it's yeah it, it, it again Donner deserves to be in the in, in, in the canon and come on you know while while Mel Gibson and Glover were known quantities and were getting work, this catapulted them into a whole other, you know, stratosphere. And uh, more common thread, again, you know, you look at that, the cast that's surrounding them and everyone is super strong. He brings in, you know, Pesci in number in number two, which is a stroke of genius because they were already... We're, we're very strong, fun characters with a lot of humor, and this just added even more to it. It's, you know, it's the, Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 made it into my family's definitely personal canon as well. Um, By the way, the most annoying 
uh, uh, aspect element of the of of the sequels is Joe Pesci in my mind. But that's just me. Uh, no, well, he did not okay, have to. Okay, well, okay, I, okay, I will. Okay. No, what he didn't have to come back for three, and he didn't have to come back for four. Like that was the thing. It was like he was a great element in that second film. There was no reason for me, and that is a part of the sort of the why three and four don't work as well as they should. Um, it's crazy how he went from uh, Goodfellas to Lethal Weapon. Joe Pesci. That no, is. he went from Lethal Weapon to Goodfellas. Oh, right, and prior to that, yes, another example. Another example of, of, uh, of taking some because Pesci yes. was well known. You're right. He was no like his biggest thing up to that point, John. But, um, at John uh, was Raging Bull. No. Raging Bull. Raging Bull. He's yeah. He's where he. He's it, in Raging Bull? Yes. Yeah, he's yes. He's brother, De Niro's right? brother in that yeah. movie. Oh. And the thing about it is, is that it is Lethal Weapon that turns him into this household name, and it's there that rolls over into suddenly, you know, Goodfellas and Casino, and he becomes the you know. Uh, I would say he probably got Home Alone. The most hardcore gangsters. You know, also Home Alone. You know what I mean? Joe, but you're right, Joe Pesci. Is kind of split in two. I always think of this. Yeah, Casino and and, and Goodfellas. But then it's like he did all the but Home Alone. Also did Home Alone and Lethal Weapon. You're right. <laughs> and again, as you said, as you pointed out, another you know launch into the stratosphere, you know, uh, star that you know reverberate across a genre, right? Scorsese is pulling out, uh, you know, some. Oh, well, though Scorsese did discover him in Raging Bull first, but I'm saying, I don't, you know, let's be honest, the fact that. He was this well-received part of this film in '87. Uh, yeah, um, I'm sorry, in '89. Probably was also why he w he was able to get cast in a casino and a Goodfellas. You know, I just discovered literally, and this is just really okay. a side note. This is raging a reoccurring character, Thomas Lennon. Yes, Reno 911. Thomas Lennon in as what? Leo gets in in uh, Lethal Weapon. Oh, the TV show. Uh, as Leo gets a comedic ambulance chasing lawyer who once worked. In the district attorney attorney's okay. office for being fired. Anyway, but this, but this like, is the Fox TV. He version. befriends Riggs and Murtaugh after he witnesses a client's murder. Oh, this is a TV version. Yeah, TV I, version? as I said oh, three okay, times okay. before. Yes. All right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, shout out by the way to my friend uh, Glenn Hall who worked on the TV show okay. um, as the as the art director. Okay. Um. So. Uh, he has a, this gigantic hit. You can kind of write his own ticket at this point. He can keep making Lethal Weapon sequels until the cows come home, and they'll probably still keep paying him. Yeah, we move over Jet, into... Who saw Jet Li? You know, that was so left field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah they, 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 before, were, they, right? they kept yeah, trying yeah. to like keep this afloat. You know, and they, I think that's because Rush Hour had just come out. Probably. Right? I think it and was. Think, well, look, yeah, you were starting to get Le that Le into, the, into the U.S. market. Hollywood of Hollywoods. Yeah, you know, it's like when Die it comes Hard. To, it's like Rush Hour. Um, well, just like any of them, it, 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 it falls under the, you know, it starts getting that sequelitis. There's not as much heart. They kind of lose the thread of what it, you know, what it's supposed to be. And and but Donner however, was scheduled, by the way, to direct the fifth one. By the, the, he was, you know, right. he, they were still, they still wanted, they wanted, to, they wanted well, to, they wanted to, they wanted to. Probably won't be now anyway, um, for a m number of reasons, not just because Donner's passing. Um, he can write his own ticket. He is now part of so many f hugely financially successful films. And yet he still has a couple of tricks up his sleeve, and one of them is a little film called, no, called Scrooged, because it's not enough for him to be like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to basically create the buddy cop 
uh, vehicle of the 80s and 90s. I'm going to create the first great superhero movie. I'm going to plant my flag on Child Kid Mountain. Uh, I'm going to make a cult hit. Hey, you know what? I want to make a movie that is always going to be shown every single year because it's Christmas. Miguel loves to... Loves to... Uh, uh, he he loves to point me as the villain in this in this discussion here. No, you just don't you you because you, I have a dislike with with commercial anything commercially Christmas, right. you know. And uh, and he's like, no, whoa, whoa, what's your problem with this? Like every time this comes up, he has he he has to have like you know he has to feel like he has to set the, set me straight with this. Like, but what is it about this that you don't like? But in a way, this movie kind of makes fun of. Christmas it has it its cake and eats it yeah, too. Yeah. I, and again, ladies, you and get all of that acerbic Bill Murray comedy, yeah, but there is a genuine. You can also watch it as a genuine Christmas type of film. I am the end that kind of makes it fully Christmas, right? You know, which which is but, but the beginning through the middle, but the beginning through the middle, it is kind of like this feels like an fu. To the it's the it, conventional yeah, it's, yeah. Christmas movie, you know, and, and it is a t and here's it. I, I, I'm not, I've, I'm not no, getting saying, double teamed. No, no, no. You got double. I'm, I'm coming on the left. <laughs> John's coming on the right. I'm you on the right. I've never. Yeah, Full confession. I came to this movie really late in life. You know, if anything, I, I saw this movie for the first time in the past three years. The first time it was just, and I'm a huge Bill Murray fan, but somehow things that her things that just have. Uh, uh, um, uh, a commercial, commercially Christmas stamp on things from TV commercials to when you're walking in the mall and you hear, you know, uh, commercial, commercially Christmas tunes just playing on on uh, on the intercom. You're Linus. Wait, we get uh, it. Wait, wait, wait. You're Linus, Ed. You tell me. You tell me if this sounds Christmas to you. Wait a minute. She died watching our ad. <laughs> you can't Bible listen <laughs> like that. Good. And here's it. I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just saying, like, I dislike the genre, right? Right. Okay. Um, okay. So, let, compensating for that, having that as part of is an understanding of how you look at it. Just viewing it as uh, forgetting a holiday, as a comedy, mm. as an 80s comedy, okay? It's very successful, and it. Com I think it does what Donner d does best is. He's got great humor in it for a lot of it, like you said, and this is a very particular kind of strand with Murray as the star. But then it also works as a yeah. There's 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 a there's it it it's funny, but we'll get into a lot of drama, and you get like I said that moment of finding uh, the frozen uh, homeless guy that he saw before, the Ghost of Christmas Future sequence, which is legitimately scary, <laughs> like 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 like. Getting burnt a lot, claustrophobia. Yeah, getting burnt alive. It, it, like it gets serious, and Murray's performance in that final, you know, third reel, with the, in that sequence is the guy coming to kill him with the shotgun. Yeah, I mean, okay, it, with, okay, it's okay, a yeah. funny sequence, but, but it's is there's. But a, think about it, a guy who got canned not, and somehow lost everything is coming somehow, back to kill him. Donner, like I said, makes it in a way where it's gonna be shown every single year around the holiday season. And, it's a heavy movie, and that's the thing. It's uh, um, for me. By the way, I'm in not I'm not in trial here. 
So you know, whatever you guys say, you guys won't. No, we're not, not, Ed. We're at, we're at the point. Be- Ed, we've moved, we moved beyond you like five minutes. Ago. Okay. We're, well, now well we're what I'm saying it's like it, it's uh um again not to say that it's a bad movie or anything like that. It is by in my opinion uh w- one of the least of, of you said of, it's a lesser the, Murray it's, work. It's a lesser Murray. On top of that, it's Murray at his least Murrayness. In this movie, and that's where I don't. I because you're wrong. I say, it's <laughs> here's, where, the dark, here's where you veer from opinion. I'm not talking. You're wrong because of the because of the uh, the dark uh, perhaps the dark comedy aspect of it. You know, yeah, um, his dark. comedy, but his comedy is he's as we've said from the beginning. Murray, John guy. Winger, Peter Venkman, these are assholes. He's and They're Frank Cross ass- is the biggest <laughs> asshole lovable of them all. assholes. You know, but because he's because he's an animal. He's an analog. Um, he's an analog. Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Right. Right. Um, so he gets to indulge in that aspect Dickensian, even more. Uh, it's the, because, and again, it's the Dickensian tale uh, of it also that I just doesn't that I I just don't buy. I about think it. I, I I would accept more if you said like I don't you don't buy the um, redemption at the end, just because he's so over the top and everything else beforehand. I could see someone saying I don't think it's quite as earned. That said, I would disagree with that. I can see how someone might say that, but I would disagree because I do think it makes you feel at the end for him. And again, especially like I said, that Ghost of Christmas Past thing. And they also did. How about when he gets like a piece of veal for his birthday? Or you know, like 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 again, they yes, that's played for for laughs. But then it's but like but you, you get like again the kid getting that in real no 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 life, let, like, let's set the let's set let's set up. let's set the table yeah. there though John let's yeah, set the yeah. table for it because the, the sequence is he's there with um what's his face as the as the ghost of Christmas past yeah. who's a um the leprechaun no not the driver. leprechaun the cab driver he's not a leprechaun oh no 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 no, no. it's the angel right no it, angel. Ed who is uh, uh who's the name of the actor um uh, New York Dolls you know what I'm talking about. He's the he's the uh, 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 David Johansson. My God, hot, hot, hot! Come on, Ed. Jesus. Oh, uh, uh, Buster Poindexter. Yes, Buster right. Poindexter. Yeah, exactly. Um, he there's a very comedic. It's like it's like oh, you, there's nothing you can show me that's going to make me cry. And and again, Poindexter. And he, exactly. He goes. He goes. Uh, Genghis Khan said the exact same thing, <laughs> but when he saw his mother. Niagara Falls, and then it gets repeated, and it it's real because it you really feels like as anyone would when the seeing their mother I, if I, she's had if she has passed, and it's th- the, that genuineness is threaded around or through the more cynical, darker yeah. stuff until you get to the end, which I do think because of that Ghost of Christmas Past sequence does feel very earned and does feel very genuine and you do you come out of that movie murray is just ma- like he is master of ceremonies you know the reborn frank cross is is suddenly here's the thing throughout the first let's say two-thirds of the film donner has him as winger venkman bill murray <laughs> when he comes out of the elevator he is lounge lizard murray he is the Murray who appears and in the is, Buster Poindexter music video. And, He's just like singing and, is, and dancing true, and happy to be alive. And that is true Murray to me, right? You know. Um, by the way, about this, uh, Chris uh, uh, Karen Allen. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
And that is, if anything, again the, with the, the one, the one, the one sincerity uh, that I do appreciate is that relationship has, stuff. That and relationship and with having her and her as an actress, like you said, which goes again to Donner's casting because we look at this film and you've got. You know, okay, you've decided on that this is going to be a Bill Murray vehicle. Bill Murray is one of the, our greatest performers of all time. Alfred Woodward, okay, as the as the Bob Cratchit analog. Uh, you, you know, Carol King. We Robert, we brought him up before. Robert, Robert Mitchum, Mitchum is in this. Wait, Carol King's in it. Carol King. Uh, She's the ghost of Christmas present. Uh, you know, D- David yeah. Johansson as as the ghost that's of Christmas. Carol King? Yeah, that's Carol. Uh, Robert Carol King. Robert Carol King. Robert oh, Robert Forsythe. Yeah, Robert Forsythe. Um, I'm sorry, Robert. Um, um, John Forsythe. I'm sorry, John Forsythe. It's all again a very strong cast game doing bringing it, and this once more is very much of its time because it feels like again this feels like the studio said we want to make a modern day comedy Scrooge. You know, can you deliver that? And he says, absolutely. And a I certifiable can. hit, you know, with a budget of $32 million, and then it, it banks at $100.3 million. And it then made its money three times and over. And then you know? it goes, and then again, you know, it, it will make them money forever in syndication. <laughs> he really, like, he knows how to knock these things out of the park, and this is a really... Um, it's another strong, like you know, um, feather in in Donner's cap. Um, I will say this is one of the few times I heard that there was because apparently there was some tension on set between Donner and Bill Murray. Yeah, um, really. Yes. Yeah, because Bill Murray thinks he's rightfully so, but you know he has he, he has a little bit of an ego because you know? he's because I'm a he's god, not the god. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, god, exactly. But. God. I, here's the thing. I don't think we get a Groundhog Day without, without Scrooge. Um, it, it it definitely has the feel of um, or let's I well, well, say, what is the tension? The overall the tension between Murray and Donner. I, it was it was approach it was the approach of the darkness or not oh, lightness okay, okay. or not that sort of stuff. Um, and also, I think Murray sometimes can be a diva. Let's be let's be <laughs> honest. Bill Murray can be a big diva. He doesn't have an agent. He handles the things all himself. So he, you know, yeah. he, he takes. So. And, and yeah, yeah, and and you he know what? It, Here's but, the thing. But still, he could be. Go, let us let us turn this again into um, um, a praise for Donner because despite any tension that I, he still delivered a very very good movie yeah. that you know made money hand over fist and is one of the in the canon and is perennial, and that is you know. Donner's career writ large, uh, like we said, after Scrooged, um, I would say there is a, a again there's a there's a decline. Um, like we mentioned, Assassins, and it's like that is not a. I don't think that that's a particularly good movie. Um, what's that movie with him? Uh, Most Deaf and Bruce Willis. Ooh, uh, something. Yeah, how yeah, many blocks? Yeah. Fifty two blocks or right, something. Right, right, right. Um. He the, has the lethal weapon. The lethal weapon films, like I said, started going sort of downhill, but his legacy, like I said, still remains. He, you know, again, you, you know, while lethal weapon is is sort of like winding down, he, you know, his wife's production company 
um, and you know, uh, the, you know, employing guys like Jeff Johns and Kevin Feige. He's laying the foundation Banking for other things for in Brian, the future. Brian Singer's X Men, who you know, while you and I have your opinions on that, it does still important. You still have very to give important, it a few. Very important to the genre, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you know, there's we, no Hugh Jackman without that, you know. And without these movies, there would be no TBC. You know, I mean, for for which. You and I have become in, it in a matter be of just very a span of in a span put it, bring it full circle in right a span there. of yeah. just tw uh, of you, yeah. Miguel and I have been friends for for twenty years. Yeah. Uh, I've known John since he was nine. You know, like, um, but from day one of how we met. Hold on, hold on. I'm going. To, this is. I'm going to tell you how you met. No, 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 no. Ed, 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 Ed. I'm going to tell you how you. I'm going to tell you how you met John. And it was like, it was like, hello, Edward. Uh, I'd like you to meet uh, young uh, Jonathan Vergar here at this program. But yeah, you're a new partner. Yeah, yeah. It's a new partner. Absolutely. You know, can we say, you know, do we have an MCU? Do we have a glut of superhero mm -hmm. movies? Um, you know, you know, even though we always say, oh, you know, it's, you know, the two, the two genealogies are Burton. You're either going to do it like Burton or you're going to do it like Donner. Um, but even some would argue that but, Burton, but, but Burton is also part of that DNA. Because, because also because would there have been a Batman yeah. if he had not been able to succeed with Superman? You know, so you don't. So even the other strand, I would say, of style of kind of approaching this, that material it probably doesn't get its prominence uh, without him first cracking the code with Superman. And, you know, I think that there, I hope that there's a real deeper dive among other people's minds to really look at what he did and really give him his due because the fact is, despite all of that money-making that he made, despite all of this influence, the truth is most people don't think of him as influential. They don't think of him in the same breath of, say, how one talks about George Lucas or Steven Spielberg or Christopher Nolan or Quentin Tarantino. And I think that I hope in a few years, a lot more people's eyes are open to the fact that no, this man had a enormous amount of influence and you, you know, you, you know, seven, uh, uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but six degrees of, of Richard Donner. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. You know that, you know, there's, you can't, you can't piss anywhere in Hollywood these days without at least <clears throat> some trickle of that landing on something that he did, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere along the way. And I hope that this, you know, I hope that this, this show here would, um, open people's minds to maybe some movies that you haven't seen yet to give a try. Like I said, I will always be an evangelical for uh, for Lady Hawk, even an, though it's about not the Catholic Church. Not evangelical for the Catholic Church. <laughs> Church. But yeah, not for the Catholic Church. Hey, Ed, after the <laughs> omen in Lady Hawk, we should believe in the blood. Do you believe in the blood of Christ? Christ. <laughs> <laughs> have you eaten of his flesh? Look, uh, what I'm trying to say is you've got to have to kill your son, all right? <laughs> um, I would hope that, you know, we would get people to really reassess and if you haven't seen any of his films really honestly don't just go back to superman don't just go back to lethal weapon see, see watch lady hawk okay uh watch the omen you know watch goonies and see the real breath of this guy's um talent and what he brought to the table um this was a lot of fun i really felt the need to do this because uh donner's passing recently um we have some more shows uh coming we got a, up we got a good show coming up uh, uh some d a deep dive into the 
into Miguel's uh, one of latest passions. And the masters <laughs> of the universe. Yes, we have uh, uh, Kevin Smith's uh, uh, Masters of the Universe. We're definitely going to, yes, uh, we're going to cover uh, Kevin Smith's uh, Master of the Universe revelation. Uh, as always, I want to thank Jonathan Vergara for the use of his facilities here at Pancake Studios. No problemo. Uh, I thank uh, my co-host, uh, Edward Ng. Uh, is uh, it a crime? <laughs> is it a crime to uh, to? Uh, I forget the line. Oh my god! Is it is it a crime it, to to cherish life? To cherish life. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, you know, again, you you cast Marlon Brando in the role of of, of Vatch Trouton. He's gonna he's gonna get Peck on board a little. You. Do you believe in the blood of Christ? <laughs> you can't even say it. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much uh, uh, for joining us. I hope you come in for uh, next time. And until next time, do make the news. Hey, thanks for listening to To Be Continued, a family podcast. Please check us out at www.tobecontinuedofanboypodcast.com. You can also be found on Twitter, Facebook, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. <laughs>